Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is it, episode 35. It's not exactly like episode 100, but 35 is a cool, a cool number, something that we, we got to. So we're over Heck halfway, yeah. you know, halfway through the year, 52 weeks, whatever. And uh, do you remember, Nate, like the very first time we recorded, um, we did it here in the garage. You were here. We tried to do yeah. video on our phones and cameras, and it didn't work at all. We didn't know how That's to like, do levels. Yeah. We didn't do like multi-channel on the soundboard, so everybody's level was the same, whether it was off or not. It was all on the one same channel. Uh, and so we're not exactly experts yet. But we are evolving, I think, growing a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. figuring out a little bit as we go, for sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'd say getting getting a little bit better each time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like fishing, you know. I mean, honestly, kind of put the pieces together, grow a little bit, figure it out screw something up and then be like, okay, I'm not doing that again. Um, but this is episode 35, which we are stoked to say is brought to you by Grizzly Coolers out of Decorah, Iowa, and specifically their Kenai line, um, which is a line of coolers and um, cups and a bunch of stuff that they design specifically for anglers. And actually right now, my laptop is sitting on two Kenai coolers. I don't know if you'll be able to hear this. 
Like, I don't know if you could hear that. Uh, but anyway, oh, like man. the little the little closer on the cooler is really dope. You can do it with one hand, um, which I think is pretty slick because if you're holding a, a child, if you're holding a, uh, I don't know what, a bush light, if you're holding something else, a yeah. fishing rod, and you got to open it, you don't have to like use both hands, like pull it down and pull it out. You just pop it with a finger. You can pop it open. And if you use the code WCB, um, W like Walter, C like Charlie, B like Bravo, um, you get 10% off your whole order across the board. So hit that up. Hook and Arrow Supply. Um, we have some good friends at that company who also make Giltech, and that is everything from the swim bait um, that they came out with, which to me is the best tracking um, boot tail style swim bait um, that I've ever used. And that's not because it's a sponsor. We liked their stuff before we were ever sponsored by them. Um, but it's Absolutely. got these two little fins on top. So when you really you put it on a um, I don't know, whatever, a chatter bait or a spinner bait or whatever, or just on like a ball head jig, those two little mini fins on top just help it track really straight while the body kind of kicks all over. I don't want to compare this. This sounds stupid, but sort of mag draft ish like it like it kicks a lot and kind of has a head wobble it just has a really good movement. Um, and yeah. so you can get all that stuff at hook and arrow supply dot com. Last one is working class bow hunter. Um, our buddies who, for whatever reason, saw us doing a fishing podcast on their network <laughs> and uh, we're having fun with it. We're on episode 35. And so thank you so much to all our sponsors. And of course, you can find us on uh, Waypoint TV as well. Yeah, yeah. Waypoint TV and uh, and of course, all of our social stuff, uh, YouTube uh, as well. Tackling Tacos on uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, all the goods uh get on yeah. over check us out and uh don't forget to check out the merch store the store merch. is open we get, we've got stuff available yeah. uh tackling tacos.com and uh you know of course like like everybody we're accepting all uh major forms of payment uh, yeah that's the one question PayPal. i've been getting like do you guys take yeah, credit yeah. cards i'm like yeah dude it's uh, 2023 yeah. right yeah i'm, I'm not taking like cards. quarters yeah, for sure yeah Right. Yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't drop no change jar off at the house, but, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess you could put, but... put you in, put you an order in online, uh, yeah. and, uh, Eric will get you taken care of, get that stuff sent out real quick. So, yeah. So, Hey Nate, so before we started this episode, we were talking to our guests, which we'll bring on in a second. I'm so pumped about it. Um, this is Heck. a super dope one and Nate, uh, who is never late. I'll be like, Hey Nate, can you be on at seven fifty, or can you be on at eight Oh six? He just does. He just does it. <clears throat> He was a couple minutes late because of deer season, uh, shotgun season in Iowa. Uh, yep. Tell us about your about your shotgun season. Give us a brief rundown on it, dude. Uh, yeah, I mean, brief rundown is uh, I got out, was able to hunt <laughs> uh, Saturday and uh, and Sunday. Uh, again, you know, I go a couple hours uh, north of here uh, in Alamakee County, and uh, you know, met up with some some people. My good buddy Darren, who I who I bow hunt with as well. Shout out. Um, yep. Shout out Darren. He, he, uh, you know, put, put me in the group and, uh, you know, I got, uh, I got the invite, I think after a few years yet last year was the first year to get the invite to, to shotgun, okay. uh, gang club. Yeah. The crew, orange army, maybe the orange army. Yeah. You know, however yeah. you want to put it, but, uh, yeah. So this year was, was pretty good. We, uh, you know, we ran a few different drives. We sat early in the morning and, you know, watch the sun come up and, uh, that's fun. Uh, yeah, cornfield edge. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, ended up with uh, four deer total. Um, 
I got, I, I shot, I shot one really, really big doe. Nice. Um, and then, uh, Darren shot, uh, I think three total is what he, what he yeah. had three, yeah, he had three tags and, and filled all three of them. Yeah. He only so. had one tag. He shot three deer. Yeah. He had, uh, you know, two doe tags and a buck tag and was able yeah. to fill, fill all three of them. And, uh, That's I awesome. still have a buck tag left. Um, We've only have a couple of days left in the season yet, so Still, I think yeah. we'll uh, we might we might eat that one and uh, you know just just go with this big old doe because it she's plenty of meat. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's plenty of meat. <clears throat> she is. She she's she's a big one. So yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was fun. It was fun weekend. You know, did some driving, yeah. did some sitting, yeah. uh, the typical stuff. Got some snow on. Uh, I guess it would have been yeah, kind of late Saturday yeah. into into Sunday. And uh, that made for some real, real slippery terrain. Uh, a lot, a lot of the oh man, it was gorgeous. I got some yeah. pictures of the uh, the snow and the trees and coming down, and it, it, yeah, it was really cool. cool. It actually got to the point where like the the trees filled up with the snow and the you know branches filled up with the snow so bad that like immediately after the snow, the temperature started rising, and then all the snow is just like raining down off of the oh, trees. So, yeah, so not <laughs> only was it wet. On. Yeah, not only was it wet on the ground, but it was wet on us too, and it was uh, made for some some interesting hunts for sure. Oh, couple, yeah, well, I'm glad couple, you're couple fills, but yeah, I'm glad you good. got through it safe. I'm glad you uh, yeah. got to get you a deer. That's always a, a fun deal for sure. And there's something about shotgun or wherever you're at rifle season. Um, it's just fun. Like the camaraderie of it's really fun. Oh for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Getting getting that crew together and and yeah. everybody enjoying the time together it, it's awesome that's that's for sure one of the one of the highlights whether you whether you shoot deer or not that that, that camaraderie like you said is yeah is uh, is par none yeah so real quick announcement um that i hate to make but this will be the second week in a row um lola wasn't with us on the last week the jay yellis podcast um you know she found out that she was needing like surgery on her hand and she was hanging out with her mom and whatever and then this week um our little one our littlest one gus who is almost two years old um he had he started coughing and sneezing and acting really like sick and grumpy and that's not his vibe i took him to the walk-in he has covid so if he has covid you know dang well mama has covid because he's just laying on top of her being around her and being all needy all the time so and i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i may have it as well um but i'm more in like that state of like it feels more like a cold, so I can kind of push through. Whereas Lola is just having the the bejesus kicked out of her, so she's not here tonight either. She usually sits right, right in this region here, but um, not tonight. So it sucks. And she was really excited about the guests we have coming on. Um, but the interesting thing is about these two guests is uh, we started talking. I mean, I think it was like June. May. So it was like right away. So like when we came up with a podcast, I was like, I want to have these fellers on because I think that they're, for lack of a better term, their product, what they're doing is pretty unique in a world of 12 million podcasts and like 4 million fishing podcasts. What these two guys are doing is unique and not just unique. Um, it's actually good. Like the way they're doing it, they're doing it well. Um, and so um, they have a pretty unique podcast called the Big Bass Podcast. And as soon as I started listening to it, I was this is so cornball, but I was hooked. I, I, it was like, a, um, it was like, um, I don't know if you want to say like CSI, you know, like cop show, but all this research goes into it. They're not just, it's very clear if you listen to it, that they're not just coming on and like shooting from the hip. It's prepared. 
it's thought through, it's researched, um, and they've, they've, they've done everything from like world records to specific state records um, to lures that catch a ton of fish, old stories, new stories. Uh, I don't know if there's like a, a Pulitzer Prize for fishing podcast, but if there was, they should get it for their smallmouth world record one because it was just dope. Like it was so well, I think it was a two episode or three, I can't remember, but it was so well put together. It was just really compelling stories. Um, and so ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to talk tacos, big bass. We're going to talk lures. We're going to talk, um, bass fishing history. We're going to talk because they run a podcast. We're going to ask them questions about podcasts in general. So, uh, we're really excited to bring onto the screen into the podcast right now, uh, Mr. Terry Batisti and Ken Duke. So thank you guys for being here. Guys, you. thank you for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Stoked to have you guys for sure. So hey, um, before we get going too quick, uh, I'm having uh, some technical difficulties with my headphones. Oh. So uh, oh. just uh, this oh. just uh, just keeps keeps going. So uh, give me a quick second. I'm gonna try to get uh, get these okay. dang things reconnected to this computer. And, okay. Uh, I'll uh, yeah, I'll be so I'll be Lola right is using the COVID excuse not to talk to us, and Nate yeah. is now using technical difficulties. <laughs> Where does this end? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, look at it. He doesn't even know what we're saying right now. So, um, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, Nate, do you want us to bring you out? Can you hear us, Nate? Do you want us to bring you out and bring you back in? He doesn't hear us. No, I don't think he can hear us at all. No. <laughs> all right, we'll just leave Nate there because he's a good looking feller. So, um, First off, thank you guys for being here, sincerely. And uh, you both know we've been emailing back and forth for, like I said, May, June months. I mean, it's been a yeah. long while. Long and um, it's just a matter of scheduling, you know. And I was, I was telling uh, Terry before the before we hit record, like <clears throat> a couple few weeks ago, we had uh, Gussie on. And it was the same deal. Like, he was like, yeah, I'd love to talk about tacos. He's like the nicest dude. Um, but it was like he really is um but it was like oh this schedule doesn't work this schedule does or this schedule doesn't oh i'm guiding this day so it's not like a big diss i don't nobody takes it personally it's just a matter of working through the details and whatever and so we're really stoked to have you guys on here um before we get into taco stuff tackle stuff big bass stuff all the all the things we want to talk about um my favorite thing about your guys show Bar none. Favorite thing about your show is your is Ken. Yes, is me? Ken. yes. When it's over, and I can no, uh, is your dynamic together, you two, because you guys play off each other in like a funny way, and then you also like get after each other like an old like married couple. Sometimes um, you argue about stuff like a wake on a wake bait. Like that's not a wake bait. The wake is different. Like you're talking about the ripples coming off the back of a bait, not making it a wake bait or some. I don't know. How long have you guys been friends? How do you know each other so well? So well, where did this dynamic come from? Uh, I don't know. I think we met. I mean, so I used to write, and obviously Ken was uh, an editor at Bassmaster, and. Uh-huh. I uh, needed some help locating a couple. Well, it was a series of flipping articles that uh, Dave Myers wrote on D. Thomas and Dave Gleeby back in 1977. And who else am I going to call that's going to actually have the magazines and can scan them? Right. So I, I sent him an email and said, "Hey, uh, I'm working on an article on flipping," uh, and he was like more than <laughs> gracious. So he he scanned everything uh and and sent it to me and at that point we just started talking you know? okay and when was that you know, i was uh, uh, mid 2000s probably yeah okay. going on 20 years ago at this point okay yeah and uh, we didn't actually meet face to face until maybe 13 14 years ago 
Oh. Um, but by then we had been corresponding through email and so forth. And, and I decided that although I didn't think he was very bright, I thought he was a very nice guy. Hey, my mom calls <laughs> me son. Yeah. <laughs> That's his way of showing he's bright. No, the man is, the man is a PhD nuclear engineer. So he's obviously far more intelligent than I am. And he's eaten oh, up okay. with bass fishing and bass fishing history. So uh, awesome. it was, it was inevitable that we would we would have a connection and and he's just one of my closest friends one of the best people i know okay that's awesome and terry you're in tennessee ken you're yeah. in florida how much do you guys actually cross paths like physically too like often too often okay okay <laughs> there it is about once a year okay <laughs> there it is. we'll see each other three or four times a year maybe okay. yeah we look for so opportunities we, we talk on the we phone four times a week Okay, perfect. Yeah. And we yeah. email each other every day yeah. or text okay. each other every day. I mean, so even if you're not physically not the contact, it's, it's not because, huh? So even if you're not physically, the contact is all the time. Oh, yeah, it's all the time. It, it was, it's been that way forever. Okay. You know, it's, it, it's not because we started a podcast together. Yeah. Uh, you know, or what have you. No, it's just, we're just friends. I like it. So, um, I think a lot of people listen to your podcast. A lot of people know who you are, especially Ken. Um, people heard you on Bass Talk Live quite a few times. Um, but who are you guys? Like, what is your tie-in to the fishing industry? Like, like who who are you in that sphere? Uh, well, um, let's see. I sold my first article to a national fishing magazine when I was 18 or 19 years old, That's which crazy. is over 40 years ago now because I'm really ancient. Okay. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, I sold a bunch of articles in my late teens and early twenties. I was selling articles every month and, and enjoying it and, and feeling a little bit of part of the industry. Um, even though I knew nothing, I mean, I knew nothing about how the industry worked, but it was fun to, to write the stories. It was fun to, to see if I could compete on that level with professional outdoor okay. writers and yeah. so forth. And then I made a, a, a horrible and, and embarrassing mistake. I did something I'm not very proud of in my youth. I, uh, I went to law school, Jordan, and, uh, and I practiced law for 10 years after that. And I was largely out of it. I had to do an occasional article here and there just to kind of keep my hand in it. But uh-huh. I got fed up with practicing law after about a decade. And I, I looked for a way to get back into the industry. I took an editorial job with a magazine and then a couple of years later, I got on with BASS, became senior editor of BASS publications, and and uh, have been in the industry ever since. And okay, and being old and and uh, working in the industry, people people eventually notice you, even though they don't really necessarily like me at all. Yeah, right. I think I think people do like you, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I don't know. And what about you, Terry? What's what's your tie into the industry? I mean, I know you're a, a pretty prolific writer as well, right? I mean, what what is your what is your deal? So I, I actually started working at a tackle store when I was 14. Oh, that's cool. And it was arguably the best tackle shop in all of California, possibly the Southwest. Okay. And and uh, so I get to know, you know, all these people that I read about in the Western magazines, Western Bass, U.S. Bass, Western Outdoor News, um, guys like Mike Folkstad, Don Ivino, you know, uh, Gary Klein would stop by the shop on his huh. way from Oroville to the, the river, you know, that type of stuff. And, you know, I, I took a break. Uh, I started there when I was in 1978 
and I quit in 1988 after I had went started going back to college. And I I took some time off to do the whole college thing, and then I graduated with my bachelor's. I graduated with my my PhD, and I was sitting at the office one day, writing, trying to write a a technical paper to get published in a in an engineering journal, and I I just it was just killing me, and I said to myself, you know, if this was about fishing, I'd never get. I'd never have writer's block. It would mm. be so easy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And at that time, I don't think you guys probably remember 1995, 1996, when the internet started. Um, yeah, when Al Gore invented it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Thank you, Al. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the there former was, VP. Yeah. Shout out to Al Gore for inventing first, the internet. Yeah. The first bass fishing site was called the Bass Fishing Homepage. And it was a hmm. message board and people would go on the message board and they would <laughs> ask questions and other people would answer questions and you know, all this other crap. And yeah. so I started answering questions. Cause by that time I'd been fishing competitively since I was 12 uh, and, you know, grew up in a tackle store, a new tackle, but yeah. I lived breathing. And I wrote the first, I was, I was writing in 1997, 1998, the first responses about drop shotting. Wow. And that's crazy. Yeah. Yamamoto, that's really cool. Yamamoto, the first responses in English. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, it, okay. Definitely in English. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Gary Yamamoto Custom Lure or Custom Baits, GYCB, used to have a magazine that was called Inside Line. Mm. And and it was a hardback magazine. They still publish it a little bit online these days. Um, and Bubba, Jerry Puckett, who was the editor of that magazine, he contacted me and said, hey, you seem to be the only one on the BFHP that knows this drop shotting thing. Would you write an article for us? And I said, huh. yeah. It kind of fell in my lap. So that was in 1999 that I wrote that. And then it wasn't two months later that uh, – one of my best friends in Idaho, Brian Quinnett, who used to play for the New York Knicks, hmm. uh, was my fishing partner up there. And I had started a hand pour business, and he wanted to get in with get in oh, with cool. me. But his dad wrote for uh, in Fisherman. He would write the last cast, the article that's at the back of the magazine. Yep, yep, yep. yeah, right, yeah. And uh, they were. He was talking to Doug Stangy, and Stangy said. You know, so what's going on? Oh, my, my son started this, you know, hand pour business with his buddy. And, oh, man, we've never had an article like that in there. Do you think your son would write, a, write it? <laughs> and so Paul asked Brian, and Brian said, hell no, I don't want nothing to do with that. So Brian <laughs> asked me, and I said, hell yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. So my second my second publication was in In Fisherman. In Fisherman, wow. On how to hand pour. <laughs> that's awesome. Dang it, that's and, cool. Yeah. yeah and, and at that point, I was hooked. And... There was one point in time in the early 2000s that I was writing for nine magazines and websites. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. That's so yeah, that's, that's prolific. Good into that. That's awesome. That's really good. So have you been have you been eaten up with both fishing and tackle ever? I mean, ever since you were a kid then with with the tackle shop stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I, 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 you know, I think Ken can, I think Ken has the same experience. I mean, I remember the first time I saw a river, which in Southern California, there aren't any. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was, I was like four years old and it just mesmerized me that there are organisms life below the surface Yes. that I can catch. And it was just mysterious. And that's yeah. what drew me to the water. And that's what drew me to fishing. You yep. know? Dude, so, gosh, dog. Yeah. I love hearing you say that because I'm the exact same way. As a kid, <clears throat> I would always have these sort of, I used to joke about it like later in life and I'd call them like my stoner moments where I'd be like, whoa, their world is like different than our world, but I can like put stuff in their world from my world. But like at the same time, as stonery as that sounds, that that's kind of the amazing beautiful mystery of fishing and like we, we joke with my wife all the time because she loves throwing a jackhammer even in like circumstances and uh, circumstances and situations where it doesn't make sense and yet she'll catch fish in those circumstances and situations where it doesn't make sense and like the beautiful mystery of what's going to work maybe it's not it should work or yeah i love that i love that you just said that because i complete and i've never lost that even even now you know like i'll go i love being first to like tournaments and stuff to go put in and just stand there and just look at the river that's flowing by or look at the lake or and, and just wow you know i, just, I don't, I don't want to lose that but yeah that's awesome yeah yep. yeah i remember uh years years ago now when i was i was just a little kid uh going into uh, a little lake tackle shop that uh that we used to camp at as a kid and having that same feeling like walking into that tackle shop yeah. and like just being mesmerized at all the stuff on the wall and this was like just like a little hole in the wall like river you know, catfish tackle shop, you know, they yeah. didn't, they didn't have a big, big bass yeah. selection or a ton of different lures or anything like that. So I could, I mean, I, I can only imagine like growing up in a, in, you know, in a bass fishing type tackle shop or sure. something like that as, as a kid, man, that'd be, that'd be absolutely crazy. Or so, so that little place didn't have like a JDM wall or anything. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no Norries or Osprey or probably not. No, they, no, probably plenty, not. plenty of split shots though for you. They, they, they have that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Bell> sinkers. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, geez. yeah. So I'm sorry for, uh, for the absence there for, for a minute, guys, I had some, you know, some more technical difficulties. I've had a, a, a rough start to this podcast and yeah, oh, you're all right. uh, not, uh, not normally like me, but, uh, why, uh, why, why big bass? Why, why this, this angle to this podcast? I mean, you guys, uh, you know, you're super smart, clearly, uh, you know what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but, uh, what, <laughs> what, uh, what, what made you take this angle? Yeah, you could have gone anywhere. Why this? Yeah. Is that one on me, doctor? I guess because yeah, it was your concept. Of course. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, the, the Big Bass pod, the Big Bass podcast, Nate, was my idea. And, um, and and I guess it came from a couple of things. A, I've always been fascinated by Big Bass, record bass, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. that's always really been a, a big focus for me. And then you look at all the other podcasts out there. Tackle and Tacos bass talk live yeah all of them they're all they're all filling all these other niches some of them are talking to a lot of pro anglers about technique and stuff like that some are more trying to capture maybe the zeitgeist of the sport like yeah. you guys are you're yeah. capturing that time and that moment you're talking to some key people some interesting people um and i thought man i don't want to compete with my friends i probably do 50 to 70 podcasts and radio shows a year Wow. Right now as just as a guest. And I didn't want to compete with my friends and cause I didn't want to mess up that relationship. 
So I said, okay, what is what is not getting covered? And uh. I thought, wow, big bass are, are, are not are, are underserved as a topic. And I thought, well, you know, I know I'm not disciplined enough to do a podcast all by myself. So that's where uh, Terry comes in and Nathan. Uh, Terry comes in because I know I can't do it by myself. Nathan comes in because I have the technical skills of the Amish. Okay. So <laughs> you know, that's a problem. That's um, a sticker or a shirt waiting to be made. Uh-huh. There you right. go. <laughs> the tech skills of the Amish. Um, yeah. and, and so uh, I, I reached out to Terry and I said, hey, I got this idea for a show. Are you interested in doing it? And I was thrilled when he said, yeah, let's go. That's awesome. Yeah. Heck yeah. So where do you see this thing going? Um, World the domination. Podcast in general. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Well, that's an <laughs> easy one. Straight, we'll move on to the next to one. Straight to it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I believe in the shortest, most accurate answer at all times. Uh, well, no, that's I'll, what you think. I'll, I'll jump in first on that and let the military finish it. But uh, no, you know, goal number one is to have fun with it. And and yeah. we're doing that. We are yeah, having fun with it. I love um, it. Uh, goal number two, which is just as important, I think, is to do the very best show we can. Uh, if, you, if anybody's ever watched a show on YouTube all the way to the bitter end or yeah. listened all the way on Apple or whatever – all the way to the bitter end, the last thing you hear or see is a door slamming. And that's something that I, that's always been, has always resonated with me. Whenever I wrote a story for a magazine, whenever I've done the show, Terry and I've done big bass podcast. I wanted us to feel like we have shut the door on it. Mm. No one else would dare try to pick it up and, and do it because they know that it's just been, it's just been done. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and, and that's what, that's what our goal is. Uh, so, so, so one, have fun Two, do the best show we can. We'd love to find a huge audience and monetize it. Um, that hasn't happened yet, but you know, we haven't given up. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And And I I saw, I talked about this in the intro, um, as far as slamming the door on something, your guys, uh, world record small mouth, was it two or three episodes? Cause that was three. That was just, I mean, truly not because you're on our podcast right now. It, I mean, pretty objectively, that was pretty riveting stuff. Um, that was so well done. I don't know who would want to go back in and touch on it. I appreciate that Jordan. I really do because, um, like I said, our goal is always to shut the door. And I felt like we had a, a, a unique perspective and and a front row seat to that story because of of the research that I did mm-hmm. in person and talking with David Hayes, the man right. who caught the world record and so forth. I felt like we had a, a bigger, better, more powerful story to tell than anybody else. So, yeah, Terry, Nathan and I, we, we take a lot of pride in that one. Yeah, that, that, that was a killer. Yeah. If anybody yeah, else wants to wants to try it yeah we'll, we'll we'll crush you like a bug people there you go there you go i like it <laughs> yeah, yeah so uh <clears throat> go, go ahead terry where, where, yeah, go where do you see it going i was going? gonna say i mean the, the research that that ken has done for some of these stories spans 40 years yeah and, it's incredible. Uh, yeah it's incredible for sure that took the word out of my mouth absolutely incredible. yeah well you guys live the sport just like we live the sport yeah. Uh, I guess I'm the luckiest here because I work full time in the fishing industry. Right. You guys do other things as well. And I'm crazy lucky that I've been able to work in the fishing industry for a long, long time. Yeah. But uh, when you immerse yourself in it like that, you know, maybe you immerse yourself in the actual fishing. I found a lot of 
other things about the sport I love, like the research and the writing about it and stuff like that. And I can get just about as much satisfaction out of writing a story about it or doing a big bass podcast episode as I can by, by catching an eight or nine pound bass. I'm not sure about a 10, but eight or nine. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Hey, who's Nathan? Who's Nathan Benson? Give that guy a shout out. I know you you talk about him being your producer engineer, uh, but who is he? Uh, I, I hate to answer another one. Terry's not getting a word in edgewise. He probably feels like this is the big bass podcast. Uh, <laughs> but Nathan, Nathan, uh, went to work at BASS in 2005, fresh out of college. And that's where I oh, met wow. Nathan because I was already working there. And, and Nathan is just one of the most capable, mm-hmm. uh, intelligent, savvy, um, tech savvy, best people I know. And when we started the show and we got involved, Terry didn't know Nathan, but I had worked with Nathan in some form or another for, you know, going on 20 years. Okay. And uh, I knew he was the guy who could do the best possible job for us and that he would put up with both me and Terry, which is not always easy. And I think Terry's had a, a great experience with Nathan, too. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that, you know, eats Cheetos on their recliner with a, you know, bare belly is, you know, my kind of guy. <laughs> That's that's the description of him. Not true, as far as we know. <laughs> so wh- where so where's where's he at? So Florida, Tennessee. Where's Nathan at? Nathan's also in Florida. He's oh, he's okay. about forty five minutes from me in a town called St. Cloud. I'm okay. in a little town called Davenport. Um, and Terry's going to have technical problems on our next episode of the Big Bass Podcast because Nathan will be out to get him after that remark. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, he's going. Yeah, I don't know. What oh, yeah. to your feet. It was just yeah, short exactly. now. I'm not sure. Yeah. He's he's going to sound like he's on helium for the entire show. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, Nathan is Nathan's the shit. I mean, he's yeah. a he's a good dude. Yeah, sounds like it for sure. And he and he fishes right. He's he's into fishing. He he enjoys fishing very much and uh, just a, a really good guy. The only reason uh, anybody can hear or see us uh, on the Big Bass podcast is because uh, Nathan makes it all come together and work. Well, good job, Nathan. We appreciate you. Shout out to Nathan. Yeah, big shout out to the man behind the scenes, the offensive lineman, the guy who gets no credit but deserves it. So well done, Nathan. And there's nothing wrong with eating Cheetos and getting crumbs in your belly button. Don't let nobody tell you any different. That's that's okay. Nathan is the left tackle of the Big yeah. Bass Podcast. Yeah, yeah. The, like the second most boy. expensive paid dude on the on the on the on the on the, on the payroll. Yeah. Yeah, which which at the Big Bass Podcast is not a lot of money. Trust me, guys. Well, whatever it is, though, he's he's worth it. He's earning it. Whatever what it there? is, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, so Ken, you've been you've been a you know pretty prolific writer, you know, for for years and years now. What uh, what yeah. how that how that how that start? We kind of got got uh you know Terry's you know point on how he started and then kind of got got into it. How how'd you get into it? Nate, when I was in, in high school, I remember, you know, you get you get assigned papers you got to write in high school. All my papers were about fishing um, yeah. because that was what I wanted <laughs> awesome. to read. Yeah. I was reading all these yeah. fishing magazines and stuff. So I said, OK, I got to write a story for the English class on, on something. I'm going to write about fishing. And I did. And they'd get published in the little high school annual, you know, journal or whatever. And, yeah. and I said, hey, maybe I can. And, and the English teachers were encouraging so I said, hey, maybe I can sell one of these stories. And, and I was able to do that when I was when I was 18. I sold my first one to a national magazine. And um, and I just never I got lucky. I mean, I I, I went more than a year without ever having a, a story or a story idea get turned down. Wow. I didn't know 
that you should develop a relationship with the editor and pitch ideas. I would just write the full blown story and send it in. And I was lucky enough. They were, they were buying it. That's so, so cool. I got crazy yeah. lucky, yeah. crazy lucky yeah. on that. They say the greatest invention of man is the written word. Were you always a fan of writing before writing these outdoor articles or? I was always a fan of reading, Jordan. I was always a fan of reading. I'm, I'm always reading. Uh, I used to read a lot of fiction. I don't read as much now, but I was always reading stuff, always fascinated by the written I love word. That. Yeah. I'm not a guy. I couldn't diagram a sentence today if my life depended on it. I, I failed every <laughs> English test I ever took on how to sure. diagram a sentence. I cannot name the eight parts of speech, although I know there are eight of them. Yeah. Um, but I've read so much that I think I can put something down on paper and it makes sense and it's grammatically okay. correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and well, I'll also say this, um, fishing journalism and in particular bass fishing journalism yeah. is not the highest standard out there. Sure. So I tell people I'm not so much a writer as a typer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of reading as well. I have a couple, hold on. So I have a couple of books here that I think you're familiar with. I'm pretty sure. Grab them up. A little show and tell action. So this one, I know, you know, this is great. And then this one, I don't know if you've read, uh, let's go fishing. I have this that book, an, in fact. Yeah, yeah, this is an awesome. There's something about like um, the writing back then. Uh, it didn't feel as I don't know. It didn't feel as forced, maybe as it does. Sometimes I think in outdoor writing, to your point, things are either one plus one equals two, or they're so sort of like unnecessarily poetic that it's like dude you're not robert frost you're talking about how to gut a deer you know what i mean like you don't need to make this like a soliloquy of you know i don't know like it's just it's too and i feel like in some of these old books it just feels like they were sort of in between those two it wasn't utilitarian but it wasn't a poem even though like the the vernacular back then the words they use are, are you know like they'll, they'll call fish like this fish was quite queer and it's like oh man you would never say that now but back then that's just a part of like their normal vocabulary and uh i don't know i love reading these books like i, I think i've read both of them i think twice but yeah yeah and you make a great point that that people don't talk about much but um you know, there's there's a real dichotomy in the world of fishing literature. I think Terry would would back me up on this between the trout literature, which is the purple prose and the fancy setting scenes and stuff like sure. that. But bass fishing literature went a very different route. It went very practical early on. And I think the reason was in the 19th century and even into the early 20th century, the bass was a, a second or third class fish. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you were if you were a, a gentleman and a serious angler, you fish for trout, and bass were disgusting, horrible animals that yeah. lived in swamps and, yeah. and dirty, nasty water. Yeah. So, so all the literature about bass was very practical and how-to oriented, whereas the literature of, of trout was different. Yeah. And and it would have been interesting if it had been switched around. Mm -hmm. uh, the unfortunate result of that is that that bass fishing books generally. Uh, sell very, very poorly. Huh. Uh, not many bass fishing books get sold. And, um, and and it's a shame because there are some fabulous bass fishing books out there. 
you think any any of that has to do with like writing to the audience or anything like that like like trying to appeal to the people you would anticipate reading you know that kind of book or well i mean people know right like fly fishermen are a-holes right. so of course they yeah, have to be yeah. super poetic and like cute and you know find the thesaurus but i mean i i think what you got to do is you got to look at uh fly fishermen as a whole fly fishermen as a whole uh 90 of them didn't exist before a river runs through it right that's a great point yeah that's <laughs> right? a great point um and a lot of them are lawyers they're doctors um and highly educated people and they may do it on their vacation they, yep. got, they got money you know that's correct yeah uh, and and you know they all went to graduate school so they all know how to read and you know whereas bass <laughs> fishermen and you know i'll put myself right in the same spot i mean uh you know we're bubba's yeah you know primarily and and we need it simple and 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 i think writing for bass fishing you know you start out with dr james a henshaw in 1881 and 1889 uh, then you go into the 20s and you you've got you know uh, sheridan jones but then you get to 1947 you have jason lucas who actually brings some science to the table and and i think that he's the one that started get, you know cutting it down Mm. And, and making it uh, a lot more, like Ken was saying, succinct. Sure. Um, but then you get to 1969, and a guy by the name of Bob Cobb gets hired oh, by Ray Scott. And Bob Cobb changed the way bass fishing was written. Legend. Um, Bob, uh, talking to Rich Zaleski. Uh, who wrote for F Fishing Facts and Bassmaster and everybody else for 45 years, was telling me one day, he was critiquing something that I had written. And he says, you're too verbose, Batiste. Hmm. I said, yeah. He goes, well, let me, let me tell you, when I started writing for Bassmaster, Bob Cobb gave me his rules of the can. Hmm. Bob's rules of the can, i.e. the toilet. Yeah. Bubba reads Bassmaster magazine on the toilet. Bubba's legs go tired after 10 minutes on the toilet. This is awesome. So keep it keep it less than 800 words. If you're using a colon, make it a comma. If you're using a semicolon, make it a period. Yeah. Bubba can't Bubba can't read a sentence that lasts for 20 more 20 or more words. This is amazing. Thank you for clarifying uh, that was a punctuation piece and yeah. not referring to the toilet. <laughs> yeah, a little double entendre there for sure. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. certainly. Yeah. But, there's a uh, but there's a fly he, fishing shop. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, but but Bob had this list, and I think it was like eight or nine of them. I can't remember all of them. I have them written down somewhere. That's so cool that they're uh, real. Eight or nine of these rules <laughs> for writing in Bassmaster magazine. Wow. And uh yeah. So, so I, I don't actually what is just, just to be clear, I don't actually hate fly fishing or fly fishermen. There is a certain sort of like hierarchy. It feels like sometimes there's a there's a fly fishing shop in Viroqua, Wisconsin. I can't remember the name of it. Awesome little shop right downtown as you drive through. And uh, periodically I'll stop in there to get um, 
like that weighted, really lead. It's not really lead core line, whatever it is, but it's great to tie around your trebles for um, jerk baits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get different gauges, whatever. And I often joke that I'm waiting to go in there and hear like British accents or something. Oh, hello, welcome to our fly shop. Yes, weights. Do you need? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd like to see something in a nymph, please. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very highbrow, so but English. Yeah, very. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah, like in that book too. Let's go fishing. They they call um, uh, northerns. They call them walleye pike, or is it is it walleyes that are walleye pike? Which one is it? But they yeah, just just even the names were funny back then, and yeah, it's it was a different language, uh, as you say, different styles. And I think yeah. I think uh, Jason Lucas is the guy who really changed the style of bass riding because he turned it into how to. Yeah, that's um, cool. And then later guys came in, and they they turned it for a long time. This lasted until about the time of Bob Cobb joining BASS. It was all about the me and Joe stories. You know, it was more experiential sure. than it was how to. Um, and it's, you know, it's come a long way in, in some ways, but it's, uh, it's not really advanced in terms of things like sales or, or pay rates for outdoor riders. The glory days of being an outdoor rider ended yeah probably in the well it certainly ended after the internet came along mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. before right. that a few you could sell a few books but but after the internet it really is hard to sell books huh. and, and a lot of the outlets have, have died yeah it makes sense but it sucks it does it does suck and, and it's unfortunate yeah. because you know I, I love the plethora of of content that's out there now i mean when terry oh, sure. and i were growing up if, if somebody said to you, I read everything out there on bass fishing, it was possible because there was just a, you know, you had the sure. big three outdoor magazines, you had Bassmaster, you could consume every bit of content available on bass fishing. Now, of course, it's impossible. And, and one of the reasons it's impossible is because every moron with a, 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 a smartphone and a keyboard is throwing himself out there as an expert. Dude, and, preach. And yeah. that's what bothers me so much is that is that the level of of what it takes to to hold yourself out as an expert has fallen so yep. far. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, the way you're you're describing all of this is is you could it's very akin to uh, YouTube. So like back in the day, videos like when I was little and I would wake up on Saturday mornings and watch TNN. Those even in fishermen to a certain level was pretty utilitarian. There wasn't filler shots. There wasn't B roll. There was no slow motion of the guys high fiving after they release a four pounder back into Lake Superior or whatever. And now on YouTube, you have this like gamut of either like really super rough iphone footage you know where the guy had too much caffeine and you're trying to watch it and it's bouncing all over and then you have these like beautifully laid out cinematic videos that guys made and um it's kind of like this this wide variance and yet anybody anybody on youtube they don't have to take a test anybody on youtube is a jerkbait expert anybody on yes. youtube is a how to skip a jig expert and this is what you want to set your spool tension to and any you know so it's kind of like um I tell people quite often, like, yeah, you can learn a lot on the internet, on YouTube, as far as like how to set up a reel or whatever, but make sure you're tuning into people who actually, you know, know what they're talking about. And if you're new to the sport, how do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you know who's, who's legitimate and and truly an expert? Sure. Occasionally somebody who is totally unknown breaks through and becomes a terrific hit. I, Mm -hmm. I look at my friends, Matt Allen and Tim Little. Terry's friends as well with tactical mm-hmm. bass. Right. Those guys, guys yeah. yep. 
yeah, those guys have have gone from relative anonymity right. to huge stars huge. in that world, six hundred thousand yeah. followers, and and they did it the right way. They did it totally legitimately, and they are yeah. they are now recognized as key experts. And I I love that. I love that the platforms have uh, made people like Matt and Tim uh, stars and, yeah. and recognized experts, but. For every Matt and Tim, there's 200 Joe Bobs. Yeah. Who Jordan and Nate? Yeah. No, 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 no. You guys, <laughs> you guys are totally legit. I mean, uh, you guys are are a. You're not holding yourselves out as no. as as experts in that. No. What you guys are doing that I appreciate so much and I think is is remarkably valuable is you're bringing in people and you're introducing your audience to some people who, who may be experts in this or that, yeah. or who just help you define the fabric of the sport. Yep. Kudos to you gentlemen and kudos to Lola, who obviously is ditched out on us because we're yep. not, we're just a couple of clowns who started a big bass podcast. Yeah. yeah. So she pretended <laughs> but, uh, she has COVID. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Her 102 degree temperature. Come on, come on. You can <laughs> and then Nate and his technical been, difficulties. You know, come on, Nate. Yeah. Right. Come yeah. On. I had to, Jeez. had to miss all the juice just because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, that uh, uh, sorry about the old man rant there. No, but, I love it, dude. I love it. Yeah. Hey, so, so let's, let me, let me give you an example of 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 how pay has gone down. Yeah, let's hear it. In, in writing, just in the last twenty years, um, I wrote a an article with Bobby Barrick on frog fishing back in two thousand four. Um, the the image uh, I provided five images. One of them got used as the it was a full page image for the lead in to the article awesome. and then four smaller images within the article. It was 20, 20, uh, 2000 to 2300 words. I got $1,250 for the article. I got $1,250 for the photo. That was the full page. And then I got $250 for the other four images. Okay. That was in 2004. And that was a great rate by then at that point. That was actually a terrific rate even then. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And at at that rate, if you published, you know, three or four articles a month, you could make a living doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and today, you're lucky to get paid for for writing. I mean, Bassmaster still pays good. Um uh, you, you know, but if you're looking at a website, 50 bucks, maybe, huh? maybe a hundred bucks. Is that because yeah, there's incredible. so many, um, so mediums many for the media or is it because like people will talk about, uh, you know, if I have a Jersey and I'm fishing XYZ tournament trail and I go to, you know, well, I'm from Wisconsin. So I go to St. Croix rods and I say, Hey, if you give me free rods, I'll put your name on my Jersey versus the other guys who are out there trying to make like a certain amount of money for doing it. So because you lowered the standard now it's lower for everyone. Is it something like that? Or is it because there's so much media or what is it? Uh, my analogy, Jordan, is always this: there is there is the pie, that is all the resources available in our sport. Mm-hmm. And when the internet came along, it did not increase the size of the pie. More anglers did not enter the sport, but a lot more forks hit the table. Mm, that's really as good. Yeah. as yeah. everybody jumped in and started their own 
website at first, their own message board, sure. uh, later their own YouTube channel, their own podcast. So the pie is not any bigger now. As, as a matter of fact, if I had to, if I had to pick a time when the sport was the biggest, I would say that the sport of bass fishing, at least, especially on a competitive level, but even even on a casual level, it was probably bigger in the late '80s and early '90s than it is today. Huh. And I say that because uh, today, this year, there will probably be about seven thousand bass boats sold. I'm talking about a big glass boat with a big outboard motor and a trailer sure. and trolling motor and all that. Seven, eight thousand tops. Uh, in the late '80s, early '90s, it would have been thirty, thirty-five thousand. Really? Yeah. Wow. And wow. And and the although we've had a spike in the COVID years in the number of licensed anglers who came along, right. the number of that we gained eight million anglers in 2020 due to COVID. Well, we've already lost six million of those. Huh. So we have more anglers now than we had in 2018, 19, but we don't have nearly as many as we had during COVID. And we're not keeping up with population growth. It was only in about 2019 that we reached the same number of licensed anglers that we had in 1991. Wow. And, and every year since the seventies, the number of anglers who identify as bass anglers has declined as a percentage. Huh? Our sport, everybody says, Oh, oh sports just getting bigger all the time. Yeah, growing the sport, growing the sport. Dumbass young tournament guy. <laughs> yeah, sport right. just getting bigger. All this exploding out there. Yeah. Moron. You don't know uh. what you're talking about. It's, it's simply not true. Huh. Wow. That's crazy. Did you know that, Nate? No, I had no idea. And that's that's another reason why I love I love these two guys here is yeah. uh, the, hist- the history on bass fishing. Yeah. It's yeah, absolutely objective. amazing. So, yeah. yeah. That's really good. I just uh, rant a lot. No, I like it. Hey, so, Kent, <laughs> um, before we get into, like, the most important thing, which we're going to get to in a second, which is, of course, God's gift to humankind, which is tacos. Uh, this correct. is my taco Correct. Symbol. Yes. Yep. You are spot on. Uh, two things. Number one, I don't know. Have you, Can you see – I don't know what you can see on, on our screen uh, or on your screen. Can you see our little logo there, the Tackle Taco? <laughs> Um, yeah. so with both of you guys being lure junkies, can you tell me what those two baits are in the, in the tackle taco? You got a culprit plastic worm. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Okay. And it and then looks the, like maybe it's a Rapala D, DT. I think it might be a pose RC something. It's a uh, Ed Chambers mutt. Actually it's a WEC oh, okay. mutt, but, uh, Uh-oh. yeah, just, yeah. You're, you're spot on. You're spot on on the worm. Yeah. I was just wondering if you might be able to name the color isn't right, but the, the lure itself was actually like hand drawn off of the uh, Ed Chambers, one of the Ed Chambers months that I have. Uh, Ed Chambers, one of the uh, the greatest soft plastic lure designer of all time, hands Absolutely. down. It's not close. Yeah, we have a huge uh, on our little studio table in in our studio garage. Uh, we have a bunch <laughs> of stickers on there, and I have a big Zoom one. I love Zoom plastics. I loved uh, what was his full name? William was it? William Ed Chambers. William Edward Chambers. Yeah. yeah. So WC. his his, his uh, crankbait company is WEC. Like it's just the yeah. most like basic, just straightforward oh. deal ever. But. I had the great privilege of, of knowing uh, oh, wow. Ed Chambers Sr. And uh, visited him at, at their shop. Yeah. But the shop and the shop where they pour the, a lot of the Zoom baits, they, they also pour them off-site as well because Zoom has become so big. But right. uh, the real place to visit Ed was in the workshops behind his home. Is that the crankbait stuff? Yeah, that's where he made yeah, all the crankbait yeah. stuff. And, and where he would answer his own phone. And he'd spend, you know... <laughs> 
so much time on these crankbaits that he would yeah. sell for 20 bucks. And then somebody would just put them on eBay for 75 or 80. Yeah. And, um, and he was just eating up with it. And I have, yeah. I have a box. Terry has seen my box of, of baits that Ed gave me. Oh my I gosh. even gave Terry a oh, couple jealous. of them. I don't know why. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. He doesn't Man, deserve I'm them. so jealous. He doesn't know. He thinks they're way. It's probably to your points earlier. But... <laughs> well, they're not swim baits. I was gonna say, are they swim baits? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should. Yeah, Ed Chambers is a great man, and yeah. uh, I think the greatest soft plastic designer ever. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I totally, could. I think, I think so much of what he did is so emulated and and imitated and oh, chased after. Yeah. Did you guys know that that they also invented green pumpkin? No, I did the not know that, but that's a claim to fame times a million. Exactly yeah. because green pumpkin, <laughs> yeah, green oh, pumpkin really? is is responsible for more than fifty percent of all soft plastic sales in the U.S. Has to be, yeah. It's, like it's the one color that works everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'll tell you a quick. Story. I apologize. I've hijacked the show. Which no, Terry please. I do. No, I love yeah, this. This is yeah, exactly please. what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so at Zoom, uh, they have injection molding, of course, uh, and and when you have injection molding, you know you put one color through. And then uh, when you want to switch colors, there's going to be one generation, one iteration that's going to be an ugly kind mismatch. Combo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if you were using, say, black and white, there's going to be a generate one run through at least that's kind of a, a splotchy version or a gray version or something sure. because those two colors didn't combine the way mm-hmm. you might want them to. So you'd have to run it a little bit till it clears out. So they were running a uh, pumpkin which is not even a very popular color anymore but you guys remember uh-huh. pumpkin it was kind of brownish yeah. with some black brownish orange exactly yeah and yeah. and then right behind that they ran watermelon mm. and so that's what watermelon that's what green pumpkin really is is that mix oh, cool. of of pumpkin and and watermelon and instead of usually what you would do is you would grab up all that batch and you'd throw them in a bin and later you'd pour them and make them black because mm-hmm. you throw enough of those mixes in there, it'll naturally just go, it'll naturally turn into a black plastic. Right. Plant. Yeah. That's cool. But they looked at it and they said, Hey, this looks pretty good. Yeah. And because the guys at zoom, this would have been back in the eighties because the guys at zoom fished, they said, we're going to, we're throwing these this. in a, a Ziploc we'll bag. A and these. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it worked of course. And that's, <laughs> I, I think, I think that color and black, are, are really the two plastic worm colors that have stood the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's I, awesome. I was going to, is, is there a, is there a bait uh, associated with that? Was there a certain bait that they were pouring when they mm, question those two colors? That is know, a great I question. Guess. I don't know, but back in the mid eighties, when they did this, they had a, a much more limited run. Obviously it, sure, right. it wasn't a fluke or a, a, a horny toad. Tail. It could have been a trick. Worm, it was probably worm. could have been a brush hog. Uh, I was just uh, going to say, that was a little early for the brush hog. Yeah. I was, I was uh, just going to say, do you remember when you first saw a brush hog? I was like, what the heck is this? You know, it's just so funny because it's just so standard now. But back then it was like, what am I even looking at? One of the, one of the, I just, I got lucky. I went to school at the university of Georgia, which is in Athens, Georgia. And it's about a 20 minute drive or 30 minute drive from where I went to college and law school to the zoom headquarters, which at the mm. time were in Bogart, Georgia. So, um, Naturally, the place where Zoom was sold first were in all the little tackle shops that I frequented in Athens, Georgia. 
And so I'd go in a place called Franklin Sports, and there'd be this little narrow, no more than maybe a foot wide, sure. and maybe three or four feet tall section of pegs. And they all they were all zoom baits. And they were always soft plastics. But sometimes you'd see spinner baits, zoom spinner baits, mm. and, and things like that, just weird stuff that you don't associate with that brand right. these days. And it was so cool. Um, there'd be a run on them because people knew that this guy, whoever he was, yeah, this mad uh, scientist made good stuff. Yeah, made yeah, good yeah. stuff, and they would catch fish. Yeah, I heard all these crazy stories about uh, Ed Chambers and how, like, with the Zoom Factory, it was like Willy Wonka. Like, it was just really weird yeah. techniques, and like, if they needed more space, they would build on some super wonky addition to the factory to add in like another machine, and it was just like all these little like like shops kind of mushed together into one. I, I just think that's so cool. And his workshop behind his home was just like that. It was like a series of of little hard 90 degree turns into what was obviously previously another building that that had been tacked onto it or something. Yeah. Yeah, There was very much that, that vibe about, about Mr. Chambers and the way he worked. Yeah. Um, And he took such delight in doing offbeat things and, he was an incredibly creative guy. Dang, that's cool. Yeah. So then you yeah. said selling them for 75 bucks on eBay. You're lucky if you can get one for 75 bucks now. I yeah. Mean, now, well, yeah. After he passed away, more. like, yeah, they're, they just went through the roof and they're just such good. I'm always, Nate knows about my favorite one. I have a WEC uh, mutt and it's in a color called sour apple. And I'm so afraid to throw it because it's, it's great and it works and it deflects and it runs true. And it's, I'm just terrified every time that a stupid pike is going to come rip it off or a wall-eyed pike or whatever. Yeah. As you guys can imagine, a lot of the, a lot of the big time pros out there on tour, they all have, they all have their brands. They've got to throw because they're sponsors, but I don't know anybody out there who doesn't have some Ed Chambers baits and some old wiggle warts, you know? Yeah, 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 both, yeah. Both that are just break your bank, but okay. So before we get to tacos, the other question I was going to ask before we got—I'm sorry—I I I kind of took over there with with the taco tackle thing. But um, so I work at Shields, uh, Ken, and there we have a subscription to a publication you used to work for. Um, right and now, you're you're you've left that and you're starting one called Fish Insider. Give us some some insight on that. What, what you got going? Yeah. On? Jordan, uh, the, of course, the, the publication you you're initially mentioned there is Fishing Tackle Retailer, and I was the editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer for uh, nine years. Uh, the company got sold uh, back in June, and I decided that it would be a good time for me to kind of break out and do something new. So uh, some friends and I have started a company called Fish Insider, and, and we're going to be uh, a competitor to FTR in a lot of ways, but we've also got a lot of additional moving parts. Yeah, we're going to have a magazine and yeah, we have a website and e-newsletter and, and folks can can sign up for that stuff at fishinsider.com. But we're also doing a lot of consulting. We're also doing uh, a lot of work with companies to help them evaluate the performance of their influencers and pro staffers. Uh, we're getting ready to just launch a couple of podcasts uh, that'll be done through the Fish Insider brand, which will give me four podcasts, which I think is a bare minimum personally but uh <laughs> fish insider has some big aspirations we're getting there a lot of moving parts it, it's been fun and uh 2024 is going to be our year in a big way yeah that's awesome so was it just Heck with yeah. you taking off from fishing tackle retailer you know like you said the time was there it was a good time for you to i, I assume amicably um 
part. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't see Absolutely. you as the dude who's like throwing double birds on your way out, but maybe only at Batisti. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, but but why why fish it, with Fish Insider? Is it that you sort of and you know again no diss to fishing tackle retailer, right? But with Fish Insider, are you seeing like? little openings things you could change tweak things you could maybe do a little bit different i mean what what was the motivation to to start it yeah a lot of that jordan in fact uh the thing i probably spent the most time doing over my time at fishing tackle retailer was consulting i'd be getting calls from these these uh tackle manufacturers and these guys who wanted to get into the industry and things like that and i'd be having these long conversations with people about finding their niche and how they would handle their branding and, and maybe, maybe informing them on how the industry works and when they need a patent and when they don't need a patent and just stuff Mm. like that. And I thought, you know, this is not, this is not ideal that I'm not monetizing these opportunities. This is not ideal that I don't have a platform to, uh, to try to educate the industry on how a lot of this stuff works. So that was, that was a, a, a big part of it. And since then, what I've learned is, uh, that, that Fish Insider started as kind of a media company, but but now we're we're kind of evolving into a tech company. We're doing production work for people, mm. uh, talking about video production work, commercial type work for people. We're, we are doing the consulting thing. We are going to publish a magazine. We're doing a lot of, of um, uh, digital work and, and getting ready to launch a program that is going to, uh, I think, revolutionize the way manufacturers and sponsors generally evaluate their pro staffers, their influencers, their huh. things like that. And it's probably going to bring you guys great riches because huh. you guys are obviously killing it. Huh. Wow. That's neat. That's really cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm super intrigued by what you got going. That's cool. All right, Nate, let's shift gears. Uh, Nate hit them with some taco questions. I am so sorry. I know everybody keeps leaving. I'm fighting off this COVID junk. I'm going to go fill up my water cups real quick so I can stop sounding like a, you know, like an old smoker. Uh, Nate, get them started on tacos. I'll be right back. Young smoker, smoker, (laughs) whatever I'm smoking. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so like he said, this is, you know, this is tackling tacos. So uh, it's not not just a hoax or a gimmick or anything. We're, we're legit as passionate about the taco as we are the fish. Uh, so uh, that's great. Either of you, either of you guys have a, have a favorite taco or a favorite taco place. Go ahead. Hit, hit us with it. I got my hand up first, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to Terry. No, no, no. Okay, no. go ahead. <laughs> He grew, he, now I want to hear. I want. Ken, I want to hear. Terry lives first. Go in ahead. the land of northern Cuba. I don't right, even yeah. know that he even knows what a taco is. I mean, he <laughs> he knows what root vegetables are, and you know maybe some rice. But I grew up in Southern California, so go ahead. Ken. Yeah. So go. No, no. Yeah. Nate wanted you to go first, yeah. so you can embarrass I, I yourself, want, and I'll yeah. I'll try to save the segment, Terry. After you're done. <laughs> so I grew up yeah, I in Huntington Beach, California, uh, and. Uh, the first fish tacos that were in the United States were sold at a place called Wahoo's. Oh yeah, on on PCH in Huntington Beach, right across from the pier. That's um, awesome. But those aren't my favorite tacos. Um, <laughs> and there there was a couple of Roach Coaches, you know, down there that I used to get tacos off of that were you mean like a food truck yeah food truck we used to yeah. call them roach coaches yeah <laughs> and i had to translate I, for ken there for a sec yeah. <laughs> i i'm sorry i live in america 
Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I actually heard, I actually heard that that name Roach Coach uh, just maybe like two weeks ago from a guy at work. He was talking about an old food truck back in the day, and he's like, mm-hmm. "All the we used to get these great burritos off this Roach Coach." <laughs> You're like, "What? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly." Yeah. Like, from so, where? Yeah, I, I mean, Roach Coach, uh, and then my favorite filling would be lingua. Ooh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Most people don't go that route. I like it. Yeah. Beef tongue. Beef tongue. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah, that's okay. That's solid. Yeah. What uh, what was the what was the topping on that? Go to you have so you cilantro, have a lingua taco, on- cilantro, white onions, classic. And, you know, maybe a little bit of Mexican white cheese that you would consider to be like mozzarella or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like that Chihuahua right. cheese or whatever, like yeah, that exactly. kind of crumbly, like, the crumbly shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah crumbly. so good. Yeah, and so the sneak. hottest hot sauce that I can get. Yes, there, my dude. Absolutely. Goes. I totally agree. There, yeah, there, there's a place here in Wisconsin that Nate has not been to yet um, that Lola and I have kind of struck up a friendship with the owners and we actually had them on our podcast just talking about tacos one night and they have a fire um, tacos kind of salsa kind of sauce you know um and then an extra fire but they're both super super hot but they're both flavorful you know what i'm saying yeah. it's not just yeah. heat with no flavor yeah, uh it's called uh it's called guac and roll so shout out to those guys but yeah it's crazy good cheese curds on them uh they don't know <laughs> it's, it's it's more mexican than uh than wisconsin in but uh we do have though we do have sort of an ongoing unpopular controversial uh thing here on tackling tacos and that is uh i'm sure you guys have been through this area i don't think you have culver's out west i don't think you have culver's yeah. in florida but uh-huh. yeah we culver's, do oh, okay culver sells like a literally like millions of tons or whatever or something of, of cheese curds every year and i think they are overrated on a level that i can't even begin to describe i don't think they're bad i never said they were bad but i do think they're overrated and so half of like the messages we get from like social media is like hey tell jordan i'm eating like a culver's cheese curd and it's delicious and i'm like well fine but you could have better you could have better ones (laughs) yeah i'm sorry go ahead nate no i was just gonna say because i'm i'm right on the side uh uh, opposite of Jordan, where I don't, I don't think they're <laughs> overrated. I just think they're they're fantastic. They're definitely not the best I've ever had, but they're yeah. always delicious. And right. I mean, they're I mean they're super good. They got a drive through. They're easy to get. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Culver's is so popular down here in Central Florida that when you go through the drive through, you will not be served your food in the drive through. Yeah, you you'll gotta... have to go and park in the lot. Yeah, that sucks. I don't like that. <clears throat> I don't yeah, know. It's not that, fast that food. It's terrible. like medium food. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah I got to hang a window on the door. No, thank you. Come on. Yeah. People. Yeah. Uh, Nate, I don't know. Did you ask them yet? Do you guys cook at all? Do you guys, do you guys like making your own tacos? Our, uh, I think our uh, next, our next bit was about to be, uh, was was Ken's favorite taco. He was, he was about to hit us with that. Oh yeah. Please go Ken. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm jumping in. Started. Speaking of hijacking. Jeez. I, I'm not as good on this stuff as Terry is. Terry's a snob. So uh, he really you know, like Chinese he's, restaurant for your, your of, tacos. He's just, <laughs> he's just annoying. Hey, have you guys, have you guys got a button that's anything lower than mute for him, please? Uh, <laughs> whatever you got lower than mute, off. that's what I would yeah. reach for right now. Now there's a, there's a chain place here in Orlando that I like called bar taco. And they have, uh, you know, they have a, a roast duck taco and a wow, a, a glazed pork belly taco. I like, and also oh, pork a, a crispy best. oyster yeah. taco. Okay, you know, I don't know if the crispy oyster taco is is just a Florida thing. Of course, we got a lot of seafood here in Florida. Uh, Terry probably thinks they have great 
uh, seafood in the places where he's lived, like Idaho and Tennessee. He would be mistaken, uh, but he probably <laughs> believes that. He for, he forgets that I grew up on the ocean. <laughs> All right. He may know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's best uh, to forget a lot of what terry says it's just that's easiest. all right yeah so but isn't that great though like what you're saying right now and what terry said so like we have beef tongue uh pork belly that's the the greatest thing about tacos and like when we were talking about uh tacos and eating and cooking with uh polynick a bunch of months back we sort of kind of a stretch honestly but we talked about how like fishing and tacos aren't all that dissimilar because like outside of like law you know there's not really rules you can kind of figure stuff out for yourself and what works well for you might not work well for the next guy but you kind of put the pieces together and with tacos man i mean the garnishing and uh the different styles of shells and what you can fill them up with and i I love it i I apologize if this is a you know there are some forbidden questions but nate jordan Uh are you guys hard taco guys or soft taco guys I'm a I'm a soft taco guy. I will every now and again uh, go for a hard taco, but yeah, um, for the most part, uh, soft, uh, primarily flour too, which is kind of unpopular opinion. Uh, yeah, but uh, I I do you know I will go classic and get the get the corn, uh, double up shell. You know, ta- steak tacos, uh, obviously a classic, but I'm primarily the the flour guy. So yeah, shout out Mission. That's yeah. a burrito. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Well, that is that is classic Batisti right there, gentlemen. That's yeah. that's a burrito. Yeah. Hey, no. So so it's funny you say that. We did have a debate on on the uh, the the taco versus the fajita. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Where's what's the where, line there? Yeah. Where where does that line get drawn? You know, because the fajita, fajita really is, is just the, way, the taco. It's the way the the meat is prepared. It yeah. has nothing to do with what you put it in. Oh, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. But but like people sort of like make this line of demarcation of like this is a um, fajita and this is a taco. I'm like, well, actually, it's just a matter of yeah, what you're. Yeah, it's yeah, <clears throat> it's it's like having a a chicken sandwich versus a turkey sandwich or a ham sandwich. Still it's sandwich. A sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's good. That's- Jordan, where are you on the crispy soft taco thing? I'm a. I you know I'm I'm uh. I don't really hate either one. I'll, I'll eat whatever. I love tacos pretty much, period. Uh, I feel weird about some of, like, the modern hard shells, like those one, like, old El Paso where it's, like, shaped, like, hard on the bottom to stack it in. That just feels yeah. a little too white for me. Um, but uh, I, I really like – I like corn uh, tortillas, but I uh, I find that when I make corn tortillas um, – they always tear. Like, it's not like when I go to like a really dope little indigenous Mexican restaurant, um, it, you know, like, like walk and roll or somewhere like, like a little hole in the wall place when they make those corn tortillas and they're just perfect. When I make the doubled up little corn tortillas with steak and I bend it, it's like every time, but I do think it tastes better with like that type of taco. Are you, are you talking about uh, frying your tortillas or not? No, even, yeah, even just, uh, even just, I mean, it depends on what I'm making. I really like to, uh, grill my tortillas, uh, just a little bit on each side. You get that little bit of smoke and, you know, they start to puff up just a little bit. Um, I think that's super, super tasty. Um, so try this. All right. So I, I like to make my own hard shells, but they're really not hard. Like you would buy at the store. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, they're still pliable. Um, yeah. and just, you know, get some vegetable oil and, put maybe three eighths of an inch in the bottom of a, of a pan. Yeah. And you, 
you it's important you got to get it extremely hot you know 370 degrees or whatever and then throw your tortilla in there and use two spoons to or not two spoons two forks to press it down so it doesn't float and pop or else it'll just expand and make a big balloon right 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 so you're using the forks uh and then you know you flip it over and as you flip it over you can use one fork to bend it and cook it and then once mm. it, it it once that bend sets I you flip you. it over this way and hold that end in into the uh the oil oil and then yeah. you put it out pull it out put some salt on it put it on some paper towels so the grease or the oil can go away they're amazing that sounds amazing yeah that's absolutely a- freaking amazing this is the worst part about our podcast is every time we talk to somebody about tacos, I just get so flippin' hungry and it's, you know, nine twenty on a on a Monday night here in northern Wisconsin. And I live in a town of like eight hundred people. There's nothing here and I'm just gonna be starving now when I go back inside. So that sucks. <laughs> I only agreed to do this show because I thought I thought tacos would be delivered. They should have been. That's what we should do, Nate, because we do offer to people yeah. like, hey, if you come by the studio, we'll whip you up something. Um, we'll, we'll make you something nice. We did like grilled shrimp tacos for a guy. We did uh, smoked salmon tacos. But, yeah, we should do something for guests who can't be in person. Yeah, that, that, that's a solid idea. <laughs> now, actually. Now I'm going to throw a, a, a big curveball in. OK, now, can't I wait. Grew up, <clears throat> grew up in Southern California where this fast food joint started its life in the mid sixties. Okay. And Uh-oh. I still have an absolute craving for Taco Bell. Yeah. Glenn Taco Bell. Bell. Yeah. <laughs> I love Taco Bell. Dude, you can't, like, nobody, nobody, the, 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 the Taco Bell debate is such a funny one to me because people will sit there and be like, oh, Taco Bell's gross, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh. dude, that's not the point. Taco Bell tastes awesome. It's not authentic. Yeah. And well, no freaking kidding. They have a taco that's made out of a Dorito. Of course it's not authentic. Right, yeah. But it's so good. It's such a tasty treat, dude. I, they used to have a 10 pack of tacos that they sold, and I would yeah. get a 10 pack for myself. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just go to work. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. All right, so let's let's transition out of that before I end up getting so hungry that I can't even like see straight. Um, let's talk podcast. I want to hear you guys' opinions uh, because most people that I would ask about this might listen to podcasts or they might make a podcast. I assume you guys do both. You listen to other podcasts, you make your podcast. So let's do some podcast questions. Number one, it's kind of vague. So take it however you want. What makes a good podcast? Well, Terry Batisti. No. Um, Next question. (laughs) I I think a good podcast first has to entertain on some level. I think a good podcast should, uh, should illuminate. And, and that can be educate or inspire. Um, and I think a, a really good podcast also engages with people and, and is responsive to, to what they want. And I think it evolves so that, uh, so that it better serves its audience. Because, you know, one of the things I've learned in the, in the publishing world is that whether we like it or not, we get the audience we deserve, you know. Huh. Um, like it or not, you get exactly the audience you deserve because of the content you put out there and the market that's interested in it and the effectiveness you have at promoting it or, or disseminating it. And uh, so I think that if you can hit on those cylinders, you have a chance. That's good. I like it. 
I, I have nothing to add. No, <laughs> you agree I, with all that? Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with all of it. Um, yeah. I, you know, these people that, that, that cater to creating hate and discontent, mm. um, I'll watch one or two of them, but if it, if it continues on that path, I'll quit watching it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to sit down when I'm on YouTube, I don't listen to podcasts. Um, because my drive to work is 11 minutes and I'm not allowed to have any radios or anything like that where, where I work. Um, and so I watch YouTube and, and I want to either learn something or like Ken said, be, be entertained. And, yeah. uh, I, I, all this bickering that's going on these days tr drives me nuts. I hate yeah. watching it. It doesn't bring us together. It, it, it divides us. Yeah. Yeah. I that's hundred percent. Yeah. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. It's created a huge divide. No yeah. doubt. Um, yeah. It's horrible. I, I'm old and this is the scariest time of my life in terms of where the country is. Yeah. Um, as a society and, and every other way. It's a lot. We have the internet to thank it, thank for it. I mean, <laughs> there was, you would never say the things to someone to their face. Oh, that, for sure. That, well, you know, these now you know, people do mom's basement. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you got all yeah. the road rage and shit, but yeah, but, uh, I mean, these kids down in their mom's basement, you know, just, I mean, and I saw it on the bass fishing homepage in 1996. It was yeah. like, as soon as the internet came out, there were people pushing buttons just because they thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There was a really funny SNL sketch a couple of years ago uh, where it was like um, it was like a game show where they brought on these people who did these like sort of anonymous um, comments on like YouTube videos. And then depending on the level of, you know, stupidity of the comment. So like they were like, all right, let's watch this video of a little kid laughing. And then, all right, so you commented there, go kill yourself. And the guy's like, yeah. And they had somebody come up and just punch him in the face as hard as they could. And they go to the next guy. But here's another video. On this one, you comment. And I'm like, dude, that's what we actually need. Because it's so true. Like, there's people out there who are anti or antagonists just for the sake of being antagonists. They don't really care about the things they're typing. Of course, like you said, they would never say it to somebody's face the way that they the way that they do now. Um, yeah. yeah, it is It is crazy. The internet, sadly, which could be this beautiful tool uh, for you unification has more or less become this like division starter uh this this sort of like harbor for cowards to be like you said in the basement somewhere typing up comments that they would never say to somebody's face and yeah, it's it's yeah. weird that it kind of sucks when it doesn't have to yeah yeah so uh so what what podcast do you guys listen to specifically uh you know one or two terry you want to hit us with the first or that you watch on YouTube, I guess. Yeah, yeah, watch because I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm more of the the visual podcast kind of guy myself too. I don't I don't know why, but I that's that's the way I roll for some reason. I love I love Palinix stuff. Yeah. Um, really high production value. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely. It's just really really good. Uh, I watch Randy. You know, pretty much every day. Every well, he puts out seven videos a day, so. Well, yeah. but but at the same time, uh, I've gotten to the point where if I know it's going to be him, you know, 
you know, stirring the shit up. I knew where you were going, but yeah. Yeah, I probably won't, you know, watch that one. But all yeah. of his uh, how-to st- how things and his tips. Yeah. The, the guy's, uh, I mean, he's been there, he's done it. You know, he won $2 million in his career at a time when that's a lot of money uh, compared to today. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, I watched Bass After Dark. I mean, that's that's, <laughs> an, that's an amazing podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, what's his name? Castledine. I watch Castledine stuff. Okay. I like Castledine quite a bit. He's a he's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, he gets um, a little negative sometimes, do you? Well, it's not his negativity. He goes. I mean, he gets into the freaking weeds. Oh shit! Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm saying he, it wrong, but yeah, yeah, he goes off the rails. Yeah, and uh, I'm an engineer, so I like to get in the weeds. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the you know the type of stuff. Other than the woodworking, I I probably watch more woodworking hmm. uh, on on YouTube than I do fishing. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, Jordan, I remember, I remember years Live. ago. Of course, I watched Bass Talk Live. Of course, of course. Sorry. Heck yeah, everybody, yeah. Yeah, everybody watches that. But yeah, Jordan, I remember, and I don't even know how long ago it was, you were talking about the, uh, you know, tips from Randy Blockett on, uh, yeah. like, you know, pitching a tube or something like that. Like, some of his how-to stuff is, like, crazy informative. Like, like insanely it, specific. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's it's good. Mm-hmm. I agree. What about you, yeah, Ken? So- what pods do you get down with? You know, um, if I'm trying to learn something about bass fishing, you know, a technique or something like that, I'll I'll often just run a search and see what's out there. But mm-hmm. uh, a couple of them I, I know I can rely on for good how-to type content are uh, Edwin Evers' Project E series. Oh yeah, I think he's got amazing production values. Yeah, Edwin's really a good, good production value. Yeah, yeah, he's really good at that. Tactical Bassin is terrific. You know, we talked yeah. about those guys a little bit, uh, but I I. You know, a lot of the podcasts I listen to have nothing to do with fishing. That's um, fine. Yeah, like what? But I marvel at the storytelling, and I marvel at the audio quality. Um, the A couple that I just marvel at the audio quality, obviously the biggest conventional podcast out there is probably This American Life. You know, it's been around for decades now. Mm-hmm. started as a radio show, then a podcast. Yep. Their sound quality is phenomenal. I don't always agree with, with their take on things. Uh, I'm not always interested in their subject matter. But I'll listen just to just to catch their storytelling technique and just to listen to their good audio. Sure. There's a, another podcast out there I really like called Heavyweight. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that, but it, it always tells an interesting story. Every every episode is self-contained, so it's not serialized. Sure. Um, they're strong. And I've gotten into a, a country music. I'm, I'm not wildly into country music, but there's a guy out there now who's got a, a – a podcast going called cocaine and rhinestones that's pretty interesting he's a good storyteller and he's telling some interesting stories that was kind of interesting yeah. um I, I i marvel at the audio quality on some of these shows and then of course at the end of the show you know they read off the 74 people who who contributed to it or yeah and the team yeah exactly yeah, and so, so then you think oh well of course they can make it sound like this because they have yeah you know, a small town working on it. Yeah. And you just have Nathan Benson. Exactly. And Nathan, <laughs> right. it turns out is, is only one person. We had hoped he would be more than that. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of one of my next questions, though. But how important to each of you, uh, how important is audio quality, you know, to a podcast? The reason I bring that up is the Serious Angler guys, they said something specifically when we had them on. Uh, they think that content and putting out content consistently is king to the point of, and I don't know if I disagree or not. I don't think I do. Um, but to the point where, like, if they had an episode uh, where there was maybe a little bit of echo, there was kind of a dip in audio quality, it's still content and they'll put it out. Well, it's interesting because we have, uh, you know, a couple of people that complain about our audio quality on a pretty regular basis. Huh. Um, and I'm, I'm, they complain about one person in particular. Exactly. It's my, it's my mic. <laughs> yeah. And, huh. and I'm in my garage like you are Jordan. Yeah. Um, and I have my office is in shambles. We moved into this house a couple years ago and I have not been able to set my office up at all. I've got yeah. boxes in there. There's a huge echo in there, the whole nine yards. Gotcha. And so I'm kind of relegated to the garage right now until I get it fit, you know, all situated. Um, I think audio is, is huge. Uh, I've turned videos off because the uh -huh. sound sucked. And sure. I don't want any of our listeners uh, or watchers to do that because yeah. our, our sound sucks. I think I think the audio is critical. I mean, I have okay. uh, I rarely find content so compelling that I'm going to listen through really nasty audio. Yeah, um, I'm just not going to do it. You know, we've all we've all been driving down the road at night when everybody's got it. All the radio stations have got to turn down their their range, and uh, you might love the song, but by God, if you can't hear it very well, you're you're yeah, pressing the button. Great point. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, changing the station quick. So yeah, for sure. I, I uh, one of my favorite podcasts, and I bring this up sometimes. It's not necessarily an audio quality issue as much as it is an engineering audio level issue. Uh, and one of my heroes of fishing is Mike Iaconelli. More than just his fishing, but like his altruism and his total lack of caring of if anybody cares how he is, you know, I love that about him. Um, I love that every one and a half pound large mouth is a giant until he gets it to the boat. Like I love all that stuff about, I love, I love his whole excitement. Um, I love when he cussed out that dog and he brought it a biscuit the next day. I love all that. I think that's so cool. And yeah, that's so cool. Um, and his podcast I think is so good and he has good guests on and stuff, but like half the time, um, my wife and I were driving to Florida last year, uh, for my job not shields my last job and we were listening to an episode with ike and zona and so these are two sort of bombastic characters and so like it would be like da, 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 and then it'd get really loud and then ike would do his laugh and my wife is the most chill human on earth and she was like i'm sorry can you can you turn this off and she never ever does that and she likes ike and she likes zona but the levels were just so off back and forth that it was hard to like sit through like to terry's point you know you'll turn off a video because of audio quality turn off a podcast that's a that's a pretty crappy reason to lose somebody yeah yeah and it happens all the time unfortunately it's happened to us on occasion we think we're getting all that nailed down when when we're recording, I don't hear that there's a problem on Terry's audio, sure. but some of the I, I guess the equalization doesn't work out as well as as we think it does, and it, it becomes a problem. But I think audio quality is absolutely critical, and I do listen to some podcasts just because I think their sound engineering is so good. That's cool. I don't know yeah, anything so, about uh, it. 
but yeah 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 so we kind of touched on one of the points but is there is there another point that uh will kind of lose you or make you turn off a new podcast uh you, you find something uh you know online youtube spotify whatever it may be that that kind of catches your in- interest what will turn you off uh next audio <coughs> yeah for me it's um for me, it's if, if a podcast is simply too narrow and they wind up repeating themselves, um, a lot of there's a lot of one trick ponies out there, you know, who really don't have enough game to do a weekly show or even a biweekly show or something like that, and and they uh, they forget that that they've got to continue to try to be interesting. They make it too much of an inside joke among themselves and their mm. and their guests they're just trying to show off by by who they can get on the show rather than the conversation they can have you guys have had, have had some big players on your show but you always have a dynamic conversation there's always something to be gained by listening to it there's a lot of podcasts out there we could name them but i won't because i'm i try to essentially be a nice guy where <laughs> the hosts are just kind of kind of showing off that they can get this guy on sure and yeah. And I get tired of that real quick. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's a good one. My my issue is uh, stealing content topics. Mm. You know, um, so and so puts a a piece out, first person to do it, and then all of a sudden, everybody else runs to that topic. Interesting. Man, there's, yeah. been, there's been a lot of that lately. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and it's been happening for five, <laughs> six, seven years, especially like in the in the woodworking uh, genre of of video. But you you see it in in fishing. Uh, it it drives me nuts, and yeah. it's it's almost like you know they they haven't added anything. If you're going to put something out, put, make make sure there's something novel about it. Yeah, Not, I love that. That it, that it isn't you're just regurgitating what Joe Blow said yep. in his video that he put out two weeks ago. Um, yeah. That really irritated me in the the late 80s and through the, the early 90s with Bass Magazines. Mm. It was the same spinnerbait article. Oh, it sure. It was the same crankbait article. There was nothing new, it seemed like. Um, and it got to the point, Ken, Sm- Ken Snicker. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering how many times I've written the slow roll a spinnerbait story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it, it just got to the point to where, oh, there's a spinnerbait article. There's a spinnerbait article. You, you'd get a, get a magazine and four spinnerbait articles in there. They're yeah. all the same thing. It was yeah. frustrating. So no, I that's a great point. With, I, I do the same thing with on YouTube, you know? Yeah, no, that's a great point. I'm a personally, I'm a pretty big fan of hip hop music. Uh, when I was younger, I grew up in a predominantly African American neighborhood. Um, all my friends were black. I've always loved rap music, but and I sound like a super old curmudgeon when I say this, uh, but it feels like today's hip hop is very much the same thing. And the 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 sort of again to use the word demarcation, the thing that separates me to me rap from every other genre of music is the obvious you get a whole lot more words to use in a rap song than you would in a country song or a rock song or whatever because they're shorter i'm like if you're gonna have all those words for god's sake say something make a point say something if you're gonna have a podcast 
say something, have something unique, have a good conversation, spin something different. Um, you know, so yeah, to your point here, I, I totally agree. That's good. Yeah. I also get frustrated by the shows. You guys, you guys are bringing up the positives and the negatives. I like that. I like, I like the shows that do that. If I know a show is just going to be a total shill effort mm. and, and they're not going to challenge anybody, I can grow weary of that pretty quick. Mm. And, and we know who those people are. Um, uh, I won't name them, um, but they're, they're, <laughs> just there going to, there. they're just going to serve the league they work for, or the organization they yeah, work for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And there's yeah. not going to be any give and take. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. Yeah, I don't like that either. That's one thing I actually really like about Serious Angler is – They'll have BASS guys, Bass Pro Tour guys, whoever, the, whoever they think is an interesting conversation. Yeah, Bailey's wonderful. Bailey's a great friend. And uh, as a matter of fact, on our Bass After Dark podcast, uh, Bailey created a little, I don't know what you call it, a thumbnail, an icon, mm. you know, uh, uh, the icon that goes over the, the where you click to watch the show. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, uh, Did you do that and, Randy versus Milliken one? Yeah. Oh, it's oh, so terrible! It's so awesome. That was yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was so like corny and perfect and awesome. I love it. Yeah, and and, and he said he, he did it while he was listening to the show. So uh, while he was listening to the show live, he sends it to us. So that was You're very like, cool. You're like, yep, I'm taking that. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. going, man. Did Nathan do that? I need to have him start doing our big bass podcast ones. Yeah, he's yeah. way better than I am. <laughs> So big bass podcast. Let's let's go to big bass. We we kind of like we have this way where we sort of like separate questions by topic and whatever. But let's go to big bass podcast specific <laughs> questions. Ken, the first time I ever heard you on Bass Talk Live, um, I may be getting my um, nomenclature incorrect here, but I don't think I am. Uh, I think Matt Pangarak referred to you as the bass or bass fishing historian. What do you think about that title? Do you do you lean into that? Do you not agree with that? Oh, I. I, I like it. I mean, I like any, I like if people think that of me, uh, I'll tell you though, Terry Batiste is uh, every bit my equal, if not my better huh. in that, in that department. But yeah, I, I hold bass fishing history very dear. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, let me, let me quiz you on something real quick. And then not, uh, I don't uh, even know. That, I, well, I don't even know. Now I'm sorry. I claim now I'm sorry. I, I, owned it. I don't even know the answer to this. So like you could just say, Nate, yes where no are you to save me from this kind of right, answer? Yeah. It's too late. Uh, last week we had uh, Jay Yellis on, and Jay Yellis in 02 won the Classic, 03 wins AOI. Has anybody else ever done that before, even if it's flip flipped the order, but like a Classic one-year Angler of the Year or vice oh, yeah. versa? Fritz comes to mind immediately because Fritz okay. did it in 92, 93. Okay. Uh, but I'll tell you something about Jay Yellis's, uh Classic win. He had big fish all three days Wow! in that tournament. That's uh, never wow. been done before oh, uh, or since. Yeah, he uh, didn't yeah, say he that. He didn't tell us that. Days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jay was Jay was one of the greats, and yeah. uh, and I always wonder what his career would have been like if he had stayed with BASS rather than go to FLW yeah. after the 2006 Classic, because yeah. he was he and Van Dam were kind of neck and neck in a lot of ways. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. So you guys, uh, you guys always, uh, you know, on your podcast. Uh, talk about stories of big bass uh but we don't we don't get much of much of your guys' story you got 
what's your biggest bass? Give us the rundown, how you caught it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, well, you said, let us know. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so are yeah. we, you don't have to tell us then if you if we're gonna like steal no, your no. thunder to. Yeah, no, no. We'll we'll yeah we'll skip that. We'll you, yeah. Save no, we that we dragged our show down with that with that topic. Now we're gonna drag <laughs> yours down. Perfect. Uh, mine was uh, I caught mine when I was twelve years old. I came wow. home from middle school one day. I had a football game later that afternoon, uh, but I had a chance to go fishing, so I went down. I lived on a farm in South Carolina. Went down to the pond. I had a night crawler. I chunked that thing out there. Pretty soon the line starts moving off. I set the hook. Uh, fish jumped several times. Um, came out of the water. Biggest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, I ran with it back to the house. Didn't have a, a, a real scale to put it on or anything. Cause this was, you know, I was 12 years old. So it was back in the 1930s. And uh, so what we had to do <laughs> was to get a bathroom scale, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and I step on the bathroom scale without the fish. Then I step on the bathroom scale with the fish. That works. And uh, there was a, a 12 and a little more pound difference. So I've always called that fish 12, four. Wow. But I, but Golly, until recently, awesome. I have usually lied about what I caught it on. I used to tell people it was a black jelly worm. Okay. But that's yeah. a lie. <laughs> yeah. You gotta like watch, a man's you gotta jelly watch. worm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You got to watch the watch the show. It's pretty funny. Yeah, for sure. He makes fun I of me because I caught it on live bait. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't make fun of you for 12-4. That, that's incredible. But There you go. If, and if yeah. I can catch the, the Florida State record on a golden shiner, Sign me up. I'm yeah, gonna do no it. Doubt. Yeah. All uh, so I got I got three fish over ten, but they're all like between ten one and ten five. Okay. Um, and the little little tiny babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got one with the uh, fishing with Jerry Rago, swim bait, casitas fish. Yep. And then I got two out of the Delta. Oh wow! In that two thousand four, two thousand time, uh, two thousand five time frame. Maybe 2008. I can't remember. Wow. Um, and swim baiting were, as well. No, no. Crankbait uh, was one, and a top water was another one. Okay. And uh, wow. It, you know, it, I I grew up down there fishing Casitas and Castaic. Um, I lost some. My the first big fish that I had I lost was the giant. Um, when I was like 14 years old, but mm. uh. I left in 93 and that was when the whole swim bait thing, I mean, it started in that 85, 86 timeframe, okay. but guys, guys were really um, trying to figure out how to make the baits at that time. Um, there was a lot of stuff that just flat didn't work, Okay, but yeah. it, would, it would catch, they would still catch fish. And it wasn't really until uh, cast egg hard bait, came out uh alan cole with the ac plug yeah by that time i wasn't fishing i was in college and uh then in 93 i left to go to grad school and there you go right there Uh, (laughs) in 93 i left uh, california to go to grad school so every fish that i caught out of california that was over 10 was after i had left the state but i would continue to go down there that's funny you know a couple times a year uh to fish yeah that's really so, cool did you have some of the old cast egg swim baits i got one somewhere around here yeah yeah those were the cool when i was a kid um i think i was one of many kids who did this but i would instead of like circling 
toys and the toys r us magazine i would circle baits in like the bass pro shop catalog you know and they used to be just two inches thick and uh those castaic baits those were always my favorite and to the point where i could never afford them my family couldn't afford it yeah 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 That's a and and uh, I, I, I got a sunfish a many plug, years later. Excuse me, a Z plug, but there's a castake. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And that was, think, yeah. that was painted by Lions and O'Haver. Wow. One of the, so the sick. best taxidermy companies ever. Wow. I think the original castaic rainbow is the is the most beautiful bait I've ever seen. Yeah, they're awesome. Oh my there? gosh. Gosh. No, mine is much better looking than yours. That's a gem. <laughs> That's a Gen 2 or a Gen 3. It's got to be worth a fortune. Yeah. I got I got replacement fins. You can see the fins are kind of mm-hmm. falling off on them. Yeah. Crap, but... Dang it, that's cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Heck yeah. Hold on. All right, hold on. Give me one sec. I got my boat right here. I got to show you one bait, the one bait, the castaic bait that I was always so pumped on. Hold on. Another Z plug. Nate, does he always just Heck, abandon yeah. you like this? No, I honestly he doesn't. It's just it's pretty funny. So I I guess I deserve it for uh, for my audio deal earlier. But uh, it's funny he's he's talked about castag baits for years, and I I've you know I, that's not a bait that I was ever really familiar with until you know Jordan just he'd go on and on and on about him. Oh, he's got it in his Bass Mafia big bait coffin. Good for him. Yeah. Right. So this is old school right here, boy. This is uh. I mean, it's maybe not as old as what you have, but it's like a combo hard bait, soft bait. Is that uh, what Terry just oh, held yeah. up? Oh, yeah. No. Oh, no, yeah. No. Yeah, the Castaic Bluegill. Yep. This thing yes. was the coolest. Yes. Like, when I first got this, I, I couldn't believe You can see it has Castaic, like, printed. I don't know if my camera will focus yeah. right there. Can you see it kind of? Yep. Yeah, that's yep. a, I've got I've got a couple of those Castaic Bluegill. Those are awesome. Terry, what yeah. do you shot? You got there, Matt Lures? That's a Matt Bluegill. Lure. Yeah. yeah, and it's weighted in the head, and it, it sits down. Gosh, that looks back. so good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All the stuff I fish with is in the garage. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna abandon you guys during the program. I'm not like Nate. <laughs> Everybody else, yeah, is I don't. Or Terry <laughs> or got... Jordan. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm the I'm only one who's I'm been here for the entire show. I just want we that appreciate that, Ken. Yeah, we appreciate that Absolutely. for sure. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sitting in my basement. I've got a handful of you know old school baits that are just kind of laying here yeah this one actually custom oh geez get out of here no the 316 is that like one of the first ones this is 20 years old oh my gosh dude yeah wow yeah those are those are still the jam okay this turned into a show and tell series. This is I awesome. <laughs> I love on, it. I'm still on the show because one of the things that drives me crazy, guys, you're asking about what drives me crazy about podcasts is I hate podcasts that don't have uh, continuity. And I don't want to blow up your continuity by going off screen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'll help it. What else you got there, Nate? What is that? Oh, is that, a, is that an AC plug? Well, here's a, a an early AC plug signed yeah. by Alan Cole. Oh, whoa. So, yeah. That's awesome. Holy moly. Yeah, that's like, a, that's like, that's like taking the one I just showed off, which is just an Arbogast one. And then like just burying it in the backyard somewhere. <laughs> I've got a, I've got an original Castaic trout 
but I would have to leave the screen. Yeah, which you're not it. willing to do, and I, I I'm not willing to the, do uh, that. Yeah, I appreciate the devotion there. I'm not willing to to sacrifice the continuity integrity of your program. This may be the most realistic bluegill swim bait I have. That's gorgeous. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And that's actually made by a friend of ours. Uh, his company is called Fish Thirty Acre. We talked about him with the with the um, serious angler guys too. But he does, you know, actual taxidermy techniques as far as catching a fish, making a mold, then taxidermy paint and and whatever. But it's just, it's just. I mean, this is an old one, but it's just next level realism. Super slow sink, and when it when it swims, oh. those joints, it's just filthy. But yeah, pretty All neat right. lure. Yeah, a biologist buddy of mine who has a phd oh, what is those. that i've got oh, some of those wow. that's a that's a uh, that's a big yellow that's a three six no it's a three sixteen. oh three sixteen i was I've just gonna say is that a three sixteen yeah. but a frog yeah i've never it's seen a, that it's a it's a prototype he he ended up making them but they're about half the size this thing's 10 inches long wow have you used it? have you caught fish on it no, it's a prototype. I'll never throw it. Yeah. You can't so find a just, hook. That's yeah, you need like right? a nine knot yeah. monster something on there. Dude, that thing's that's cool awesome. though. I bet that would catch fish even that's in that so size. Awesome. Yeah. It's Is that a hook hanger between the legs? Yes. Yeah, I don't a, think mine a, has a hook hanger between the hook, legs. You hook a, you put a hook on a, a, a hook on the top here, and yeah. then you can put a hook right there where his penis is. <laughs> that's the that's the magazine talk talk about doing articles that's that's how you sell it oh whoa a jointed version this is a popper this is mickey's oh yeah dang gum golly mickey ellis of course yeah you guys are you guys are on some next level stuff there i'll tell you have you guys seen the uh the baits that a guy out of pennsylvania named keith thomas makes um i don't think so yeah i don't he makes uh he makes well he makes a lot of different styles of baits but he's making a glide bait right now that is the best looking gizzard shad or shad huh. i've ever seen really? by a wide margin huh. um yeah, he's, he's sick yeah here's how good he is uh he's caught the the state record in pennsylvania is um is not that ginormous you know the the pennsylvania state record is 11-3 and keith has caught Five in Pennsylvania over ten on his baits. Wow, five wow. over ten, yeah. and the state Holy record cow. is eleven three. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, I, I need to get you a picture of. Well, you should have Keith on sometime, maybe. We should. But, actually. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. he's remarkable. Yeah, that sounds yeah, really he, cool. He's um, unbelievably talented. Yeah, this is a again that same company, Fish Thirty Acre. This is a shad bait he makes. That's. And I don't know if it's as good as that, fellers, but they're, they're pretty dang good. And I think the cool thing about big swim baits that a lot of people don't think about is, I mean, I'm sure you California guys who've been doing it forever do, but it's a daggum like search bait. You know, more than just getting a bite on it, you'll get those big boys to come out just out of curiosity and then throw back at them with a, yeah. a drop shot, a Ned Rig, or something easy to digest. One of my favorites, maybe I shouldn't give up the juice here, but I'm going to. Uh-oh, uh-oh, <clears throat> here we go. One of my favorites to throw back in if I'm throwing a big a big glide is Mega Bass makes a jig called I think it's called the Hurry Up and Wait. It's a slow falling um, jig, so instead of like falling down really quick, it, it just drops really really slowly. It's got a big plastic body on it, and I'll throw that back in if they if they show themselves. And I I will 
basically just dead stick it and it'll just slowly fall and like a little bit of that skirt will kind of move and that that's been a that's been a good one for me to follow up on uh, the glide bait big fish that'll show up but i'll also catch you know you'll catch pounders on these big old things like you'll catch you know fish yeah. that you hook them you bring them in and you're like what are you doing but that's kind of fun first of it. fish i ever caught on yeah. a swim bait was a pound and a half yeah on yeah. like a nine inch flipping swim bait yeah and you're like what yeah. are you doing dude this is as big as yeah. you are you dummy yeah it's like did i get hit <laughs> yeah yeah all right big bass podcast stuff what do you guys think if you had to guess uh if any what record will be broken next large mouth small mouth spots uh what what goes down next spot hands down yeah the spot record was probably broken three times (coughs) since we started recording uh that spot that record's been broken a lot (laughs) it does break Um, a lot you're right yeah yeah so i I think that's a, a hands down easy pick for me I don't know about Terry. I I would say spot. Uh, if I didn't know how bad a shape Bullard's Bar is in right now, uh, Bullard's Bar, uh, the reason those fish get as big as they do is because of the kokanee salmon that are in that lake. Uh, and the kokanee are right now on a uh, precipitous dive downward mm. in in the volume of of cokes that are actually in that lake okay and so what you'll see is you'll and and kokanee do that on about a five to seven year cycle they'll they'll go up in population and then they'll tank okay and then they'll go up and they'll tank and they're plankton feeders so it has something to do with you know too many of them get in the lake and they eat all the plankton out of the water Mm. and Oh. then there's nothing for them to eat anymore sure. so they're they're constantly yeah. and you'll notice that the the bat the size of the fish will follow that 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 sinusoidal curve yeah that makes sense uh, um so bullers is on its way down um and it should be picking up probably in the next couple three years i would say okay uh, but then the, then you got the smallmouth deal and i was just talking to a Actually, Ken and I were talking to a biologist out of Idaho. Um, did you guys watch our Idaho record uh, show? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, we were talking to uh, Martin off uh, off camera, and, and he said that uh, Dorshack is going through that exact same thing mm. right now with their uh, kokanee population, that it's on its way down right now. And there's a guy there uh, by the name of Joey Walton, who's a guide out of Orofino, I believe. And uh, he's caught over a dozen fish pushing nine pounds this year. Wow. All, all over eight. And a lot of them are pushing nine pounds. That's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, with the kokanee population starting to, to go back down, it's probably going to be another six, seven years before it gets going back up to where it was huh, crazy this year this has been the best year there for big smallies hmm. i think the the world record smallmouth is an awfully tough one to catch you know there's a yeah there's almost a pound and a half difference between number one and number two that's wild um it's yeah, uh that's... It, that's that's a chasm that is. that's the grand canyon right there Okay, so if we're going to talk about long-standing records, I'll just fall on my sword here, and maybe I'm not as much of my of a minority as I think I am. Uh, I think George Perry's full of crap. Am I way off on that? 
Uh, no, George Perry is a fraud and a liar and a cheat. I just, I way before I ever listened to y'all's podcast, I remember like as a kid again, you know, I'd, um, I would circle lures in the Bass Pro Shops catalogs, and I would like you, you know, I had an affinity for like I like catching fish. What's the biggest muskie? What's the biggest bluegill? What's the biggest bass? And I remember one time as a kid, like in a library, which is those buildings where you can borrow books and then put them back when you're done with them. Um, for anybody <laughs> listening who's unfamiliar with the uh, concept, but uh, I remember reading about George Perry. And like, this is a world record that nobody saw and there's no pictures of how the flip does that work? That's the, that's the sketchiest thing I've ever heard of. It's very sketchy and it's very unfortunate. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's been the record for so long that people don't think about challenging it anymore because nobody who was involved in the catch is still alive. But uh, this is a, a photo uh, of George Perry, not with the world record fish, but with a fish he caught two years later. Yeah, the that he entered in the, or something. Yeah, thirteen pounds, fourteen ounces. No, it's not. His his handwriting is on the back here. Um, oh, that's cool. Gosh, yeah, yeah. That's this cool is what he that. sent to Field and Stream, and then and then the folks at Field and Stream were kind of. I'm not Field and Stream. Uh, this is what he sent to Creek Chub, and mm. uh, they were and I I got it from from those folks. But anyway, wow, that's really. Uh, he says this fish weighed almost fourteen pounds. The tackle box that fish is sitting on is only 21 inches long. So that fish was not more than 18 inches long. Oh my gosh. It's hard to, it's hard to demonstrate that he was lying about the world record two years earlier, but I think I got him dead, dead to rights on, on this 1934 fish. Yeah, no way. No, I remember hearing the story. I think it was probably from you guys. Yeah, that that fish is nowhere. That fish isn't even flirting with eight or ten even. That's not even a double-digit fish. I mean, I don't think that fish is five pounds. Yeah. (laughs) Right. What the heck? That's one that you catch in a tournament and you're stoked on, but you're not jumping out of the boat about. Oh, you're you're hoping that that fish goes back in the lake that you replaced. Yeah, you're hoping to call that thing out. Jeez, dude. Depends on on where you are. On the Ohio River, that's a big fish, but most anywhere else, that's not not going to get a lot of attention yeah anyway your point, is, your point spot on though i think people have just sort of like it's sort of like the internet right like we were talking earlier like people will hear things via the interwebs somehow unknowingly unconvincingly maybe even accept it as truth and then just regurgitate it onto somebody else and so like yeah. the george perry world record is the world record because it's the world record because it's been the record for the world nobody steps in and goes wait a second you don't even have a freaking photo of the fish that it's like the most sought after the million dollar fish or whatever they used to call it back in the day when people were trying to break it and Dottie and all that. But like, yeah, it just seems so sketchy on every possible level. I, I think it absolutely is. I don't blame Perry for not having a photo of the fish. And there are a lot of people who will tell you there is a photo of the fish out there, but I don't believe it. I don't think any of the photos of the Perry fish have been legit. Yeah, I think that the one of the photos they point to, there's no reasonable there's no reason to believe that's even the Perry fish. The other photo looks so photoshopped to me Doctor. that I, I don't believe it. Um, but I don't. It's not. It's not Perry's fault that there's not a good picture of that fish. That wasn't required by Field and Stream in 1933. Right, right, right. So and I don't want to hold the man. Cameras back then. Well, you know? I, in the yeah. early Kodak days, I think a lot of people had had cameras you know, around the turn of the previous century. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't think that was we're, t- we're also talking about the middle of the Great Depression and uh, and Perry being a poor farm boy. Right. The odds of him 
having a camera and being able to, to develop the film and stuff like that maybe aren't great. Um, I also love the name of uh, the Kodak slogan way back in the day, America's storyteller, you know, <laughs> how perfect yeah. is that? Yeah, that fits right there. Oh, for yeah. sure. Sorry, that was kind of a tangent. I just figured you no, no. guys would be the guys I could barf on about it. We really want to do that show too, but you know, it's it's uh, when we did we decided we we're going to do the the Hayes story, which was near and dear to my heart and, yeah. and personal experience. And and I thought, you know, I think we can do it, but I think it's going to take three episodes. And I'm very grateful that Terry and Nathan agreed because I don't think we could have done that story justice in one episode. Sure. Um, I think the Perry story is a dozen episodes. Probably. Because there's yeah. so much lore yeah. around that and so much misunderstanding. Yeah. And and I think that if we do it in less than 12 episodes, it, it, it's not going to be, we're not going to slam the door. Yeah. You could do one just on that one photo with a little kid next to it. That's not the fish or George Perry. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the garbage <laughs> surrounding that picture. The, and honestly, I think that the photos would be an entire episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, turn it into like a series that, that yeah that's for a, sure it could be its own mini podcast we right that's yeah talking about yeah so you guys you guys have been at this a while you guys know your stuff should we make that a separate series of the big bass podcast where we we maybe work on it behind the scenes for a few months get it all nailed down knock out our 12 episodes and then drop them all at once is Ooh, that the be best cool. way to present that or should we just you know Drop them in one at a time, yeah. week after week yeah. after week. What do you think? Yeah. I would if I if I was to give my advice, which is based on absolutely zero experience <laughs> or intelligence. I think it'd be dope if you did sort of an amalgam of the two. So like some shows on like Apple TV or whatever. If there's a uh, what's that what's that show with that big burly dude who beats everybody up? Uh, Reacher on Amazon. Like they're getting ready to drop season two of the show uh, of these novels that they've made into a series, but they're putting out three episodes and then one episode every Friday after that. So you give wow. people enough to latch on to get them really hooked and then spread it out. That could be good. A solid idea, Terry. That's a great idea. Why? Why isn't? Why aren't Jordan and Nate on our payroll? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we should be. Well, probably can afford us because yeah. I'll say if, as long as I can make as much yeah. as Nathan, yeah, right. <laughs> well, Nathan's Nathan. We're all Nathan, Terry, and I are equal partners, so oh, we're okay. all we're all yeah. basking in the glory of zero <laughs> right. right now. I'm in. Uh, I'll sign the contract. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Jordan. You mentioned Reacher and 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 that that film thing because Terry is working on a, a really cool documentary mm -hmm. on the sport of bass fishing. Yeah. He was talking about, it. I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. I, I got approached uh, two years ago now by a guy uh, by the name of Michael folks who had a show on Fox sport network for 27 years called inside sport fishing. Mm. Uh, he's a guy that I looked up to as a kid. Uh, he put out his first production was a VHS tape called a tribute to tuna. And it was dedicated to the commercial old school commercial guys that were in racks that were over the, 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 the rail of the boat on these commercial boats. And they were standing down in the water with those 14 foot bamboo lift rods, Good Lord. fishing tuna. And that was his first production. 
Jesus. Golly. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, and then he started Inside Sport Fishing, and it was number one fishing show on Fox Sports Network for 27 years. Wow. And uh, anyway, so he found my my website, the Bass Fishing Archives, and sent me an email. Hey, my name is Michael Folks. Um, you know, I see you're into the history of bass fishing. I'm working on a project called the History <coughs> of Sport Fishing. Uh, would like to talk to you. And it's like, I looked at, looked at his name, Michael folks. And it instantly registered. Yeah, oh that's my cool. God. This guy's one of my heroes from yeah. childhood. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah. so I called him up and, uh, we just started talking and he asked me if I wanted to be involved. And I said, heck yeah. Yeah. And so I had free reign to do, uh, essentially the two and a half chapters that were on bass fishing It's an 11 chapter, uh, series right now. Uh, wow. and it's going through, um, director cuts right now. Um, but it's each, each episode is about an hour, hour and five minutes long. And, uh, they're, they're trying to sell it now to some streaming network or huh. Fox or the outdoor channel or something Dang. like that. Well, that's exciting, man. Heck yeah, yeah. dude. Congratulations. Yeah, that sounds and, incredible. And, and the reason, the reason that it's going to be really good is because, you know, I know my limits. And so I, I had to, to cajole Ken into uh, being, <laughs> being in the movie. Okay. Uh, so Ken is, Ken is probably 50 or 60% of uh, the, those two and a half episodes. Okay. And, and, and yet it will not suck because Terry's done good, good work on this with Michael Folk, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, Terry wanted me to be involved in it was a, an absolute honor. Yeah, that sounds really and, cool. Uh, it is cool. It is cool. Has anything it's like that ever been too. done of our culture, our sport? That's not really been a thing, right? Not yeah. an all-encompassing bass fishing. Well, it's not bass. I mean, it starts out, uh, I mean, it, it's got the history of fly fishing. It's got the history of uh, uh, ocean sport fishing. It's the history of you know, salmon fishing, uh, mm. anything that has to do with sport fishing. And wow. the way we broke up the bass is we did the, in one episode, we did the history of bass fishing. Mm. And then we did in the next episode, the history of tournament fishing. Oh, cool. And then we did, uh, the, the final episode was on conservation and the future and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, there's 11 chapters that covers the entire breadth of, sport fishing in general dang it that's cool yeah that's really yeah, man that is i hope that gets picked up soon i want to see it that sounds awesome yeah <laughs> terry terry and michael they're the they're the ken burns of fishing okay yeah that's cool hey uh, that's all right yeah definitely uh, hey nate i'm sorry to do this to you ask him another question i'm serious i'm gonna i'm gonna die this COVID is getting worse on me as we go through this so boy, oh boy. jump i know dude i'm so unprofessional <laughs> ken's the only one who's sticking it out uh right. i'm gonna run and grab a couple cough drops <laughs> some more water but uh yeah sorry thank you guys can, I, can I be the official i guess fourth host at least for this episode i wish you would yes. absolutely yeah <laughs> without a doubt <laughs> i don't want uh, i don't want to be listed with a riffraff like batiste <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you get that that host that host uh, category put behind your name. That's uh, that's the that's ticket. That's a big right deal there. to me, Nate. Yeah, yeah anything you sure. can do to help. Pay, that's a big pay raise. Anything that's you can do to help make said, that happen, sure. man. I appreciate it. That would be great. <laughs> hey, Tim, yeah, look, look at Jordan's chair. Oh my God, I love that chair. 
You need that chair yeah. for Bass After Dark. <laughs> yes, hey, you're exactly right. That'd be a chair for that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, yeah, he's got the that chair, another one just like it, and the couch are both, like, are all three, like, uh, like vintage set up in the... In, in the shop there in the in the garage it's, it's really cool i've yeah. nate i've never had chair envy before yeah no, uh, i totally have chair envy now you're, i, I think i have like go ahead sorry i was gonna say that i, I was gonna say fast after dark <laughs> go i think uh, i have hey. uh i think i have cup envy with uh with with terry's uh oh. cup he's drinking out over there that yeah, that's, that is a that's 1973 awesome. limited edition Bassmaster Classic that's uh, awesome. beer that, that is that is oh, 73. Wow. Golly, that's so awesome! Yeah, Real yeah. Talk about race. envy. Talk about envy right there. That that is so sweet. Jordan, I am I am salivating over how cool your chair is. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a real doozy. Hold on, I got something old school. I want to show you. Yeah, so we did. Nice, but. You've got there the- it is something old school, <laughs> something old school like he was talking about. You've you've got the perfect chair for my Bass After Dark show. There it is. Man, um, I've got to look for a chair like you have. Yeah, my it's my wife's old chair. It's pretty awesome. So this is not as cool. I will I will I will say that up front. But this is a oh, classic patch from '83. Oh yeah, yeah. I got a so, couple of them. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Larry Nixon. Larry, Larry Nixon, a, dude. A general. Hey, you should see if you know a guy who might get a, get an autograph on that guy or something. I don't know how you autograph it, but that'd be so, so dope. Right? Yeah, yeah. that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that would be very, very cool. Uh, so we, I, I don't even know what you guys talked about um, while I was. The, the, chair. the chair. That was it. That was the it. Chair. You talked like, about. Yeah. hundred percent. This That's is the, the best episode the ever. Yeah. I love it. The chair. I have my ice fishing uh, heater going there. Um, all kinds Nate, of random Nate crap was around. Tr- Nate was trying to elevate the program. Yeah. We were going into were the like, meaning no of way. life and stuff like that. And then suddenly yeah. Terry says, look at the chair. So yeah. we got and distracted. It was like. That's a good one. Ken was a deer in the headlights. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever if you ever make your way north, you know you can you can have the dang chair. I'd, I'd happily give it to you, um, just to say that I have something to do with uh, what you guys got going on. So uh, let me let me let me throw a couple um, a couple more questions, then we'll let you guys get out of here. We we so appreciate your time. Um, I want to ask I want to ask so many questions to, to be able to pick the brains of a couple fellers like you. But um, are there keys? uh to finding big bass in waters meaning like ingredients of a body of water that yield better fish now terry and i were talking beforehand i know like the forage availability can be huge um what was that feller um who did uh teco mate or whatever that guy who had la perla Ranch? yeah yeah, the Tecamati stuff. Was that uh, David Morris? Was that David Morris? Was that who it was? was but he, he did all his research Maybe. about long-armed prawns are like the prawns, biggest thing yeah. for growing bass. Yeah. And then somebody else said trout. Somebody else said salmon. But are there things in lakes, so specifically like depth or water clarity, forage availability, are there, are there common threads to waters that yield big fish? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, if you don't mind my jumping in, um, I would say the first thing you got to have is you got to have the bass genetics. Yeah. If there's a body of water in your state that has pure Florida bass, 
and you want to catch a personal best or a state record, fish there. Because those are the those are the genetics that are, have the greatest propensity for growth. Now, in Wisconsin and Iowa, you probably don't have that. Probably. Um, <laughs> so I would then focus on the places that, that have historically produced big fish, not just historically, but also recently. Mm. Uh, because those are going to be your your best genetic places, and then I mean it, it all comes down to to really three key things: genetics, uh, habitat, and forage. If you have those things, you have great potential. What 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 about habitat specifically? Are you looking for? You have to have areas where the fish can escape from um, either either bad uh, environmental conditions. Okay, if, sure. if there could be a, a poisoning in part of the lake or something like that, if there could be a, a an ice situation, if there could be an extraordinarily muddy water situation, if there could be a, a overfishing situation, there needs to be some habitat where they can go and escape some of that. They need to be able to hide from their predators. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you got to have the the best available forage, which uh, is, you know, it's going to be vitamin T where they can get it, trout. Um, but, you know, there's, you, know, you guys, you guys have trout in, in a lot of your waters probably. We do. And, yeah. and they're yeah. probably producing some pretty good bass out of there too. A big fish is going to pick the best area of the lake in a, a specific spot. Uh, and they're going to keep it to themselves. Mm. So when I was, you know, living out in California and, and just, you know, even interviewing you know, trophy hunters, a topo map was always their number one deal. Yeah. Look for the place that has the oh. deepest water access, the quickest. Mm. All right. Um, and if it's got rock, a boulder, uh, you know, some sort of a weed break on it, uh, you know, trees, uh, you know, all that stuff just makes it better. Um, but it always has to have deep water nearby. And yeah. being that you guys live in the glacial lake area, you know, it might be difficult to find, but, you know, I'm sure that there's got to be, because most of your lakes are what, 30 feet deep max? Yeah, it depends. I mean, there's some, there's, yeah, there's some deeper ones near me, Lake Wasoda gets down to 60, 70. Um, it doesn't, doesn't that matter? Lake, uh, up here like where the lakes are hard you know where they freeze doesn't depth play a huge role in oxygen levels as far as like if there's not enough it stunts their growth there is enough they can grow year-round do you know the science on that well the the interesting thing is that if you got deep enough water those fish can can i mean you're going to have springs that are feeding those lakes right so you're not going to have to worry about oxygen content in those lakes at all i would think. okay especially a lot of you know a lot of water coming in through springs has no oxygen in it at all some of it does yeah you're right i mean in florida here the the springs are great because of the temperature it's 72 degrees in the spring here in florida but that water has little or no oxygen hmm. you tend to have to fish away from that mm-hmm. spring hmm. interesting um but, but you know if you get the deeper the deeper water areas, I mean, those fish are going to be okay. The interesting thing about wintertime that a lot of people don't realize is that ice is less dense than liquid water. The heaviest water ever is density-wise is at 38 degrees. 
So in the wintertime, you have a sheet of ice above the surface of the liquid water. Within, you know, a half an inch of that, it's 32 degrees, the liquid. But as it goes down, it's actually getting warmer. So the further down you go, the warmer the water is. Right. Okay. If it was, if it wasn't that way, (coughs) ice would freeze all the way to the bottom of the lake. Sure. Yeah. So when one of the most crucial times in a Northern tier lake is ice out. So you've got a, a, a lake that's 32 degrees at the surface and all of a sudden this ice starts melting. Right. And when you see ice and water together as, you know, solid and liquid, they're in what's called equilibrium. It's not until that last bit of ice is melted and on a big lake, you know, this, cause you can have an ice free area over here and still have ice over here. Well, the water temp yeah. over here is going to be warmer than it is over there. Um, but what happens is that, you know, equilibrium with temperature once all that ice is melted, that temperature is going to shoot up big time. And right. I've seen it in Idaho, you know, ice out comes and it was 36 degrees or 34 degrees on one day. And two days later, it's pushing, you know, 41, 42. And I'm wow. sure you guys probably see that same thing yep. in in Wisconsin or yep. Iowa. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and that's why these fish... <laughs> They've been in that 36, 37, 38 degree water down deep. What happens as soon as the ice starts breaking? They come up to a foot of water. They do, yep, right away. Right away. Because it's now all of a sudden it's it's three degrees warmer than the water that they wintered in. Mm. I would also say, guys, in, in the states where you live, um focus on smaller bodies of water. Yeah. Even even farm ponds, if you know they've got enough depth, they've got 15, 16 feet. Um, because in, in about 85% of the states, the state record has come from a body of water less than 200 acres. Mm. And, and that's basically true where you guys are. I mean, Wisconsin came from a body of water called Lake Ripley that's 423 yep. acres. In Iowa, it came from Lake Fisher, 82 acres. Mm. That's very typical of state record largemouth bass. Crazy. Is there a, is there like a, is there like a minimum, uh, like it has to be five acres to be considered legit or does it not matter? I don't think it matters. I, I think the, a thing. the smaller, if you get really tiny and I mean the smallest lake that's produced a state record, there, there are a number of them that have come from farm ponds. So I don't have huh, a, okay. an acreage on it. I'm guessing right. that a lot of these farm ponds are an acre or two, but there are a lot, there are several that are less than 10 acres that wow. I've been able to track down the information, several states. And huh. I think I think the reason there's a little more of a safeguard uh, in, in a lake that's bigger than a typical farm pond is, uh, you know, farmers are using a lot of chemicals, uh, dumping them in the pastures and so forth, or the crops around the pond. Some of those might have a damaging effect on the fishery. So I don't know if I'd go that small, but, but I think five, six, 10 acres and up to maybe 200 is going to be your your prime spots. That's awesome. And yeah. and there is, I mean, ultimately, whether you're talking about big fish fishing or just becoming the best bass angler you can become. Sure. I've I've talked to so many guys who are really the best in the business, and and they all agree there's just no substitute for time on the water. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so it's a common uh, common phrase we've gotten. Yeah. Uh, on yeah, isn't podcast. that the worst? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that the last thing you want to hear? And yet everybody agrees. No. There's no sub. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it is, yeah. If you guys are into old books, let me suggest a couple for you. Okay. Uh, Luggers Love Nightcrawlers. Put out by Fishing Facts. Uh, now, I was given this book. Uh, it was loaned to me as a kid uh, the first year that I worked at the tackle store. The guy that gave it to me said, uh, this book, don't mind the cover of the title. He said, start at chapter 19 and read the rest of the book. Huh? All right. It, it, it goes into, <coughs> in, in, into structure fishing and uh you know where to locate the biggest fish in a lake or pond okay all right the other one the second one would be uh buck perry's spoon plugging book spoon plugging book okay yeah and uh that book is essentially i I believe that that uh the fishing facts book chapter 19 on was essentially pulled from buck perry's book but but those both of those books will teach you how to uh, look at a topographical map and figure out where the best spot in the lake is. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. Skip, yeah. skip over the chapters about fire and the wheel. Okay. And you'll you'll get into the fishing section then. Fire, bad. <laughs> fire, bad, exactly. Yeah, okay, perfect. Nate, give these boys a, a, another question or, or something, then we'll, we'll let them get up out of her. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, before we, I guess I was just going to say like to, to, uh, Ken's point about, you know, small bodies of water, uh, that's actually my, my biggest bass that I've ever caught came out of like a little, uh, small, I think it was called Lake Iowa actually. And it was, it was, uh, maybe I think it was around 40 acres, uh, if I remember correctly, but it's a small, small little body of water and man, you can find some big fish and, and, and stuff like that. So. I don't even know what your big is, Nate. What is your big bass? Well, that, that, honestly, I I'm gonna call it thirteen pounds, fourteen ounces. I'll call it seven pounds, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so it's probably about seven pounds. And I caught it when I was like eight or nine years old out of, out of this lake. I was that's awesome. I was, I was camping with the family, and uh, my my grandparents they owned an auction service for years and years and years, and stuff that never really sold were a lot of old tackle so i would always just go in and just like ransack the old tackle boxes and (laughs) all this stuff that had like sat around forever that's so cool and uh yeah so i just you know i'd I'd get all this old tackle and i remember tying something on and running down to this lake down from our campsite and and just casting out there and and i think it was called i think it was called a mimic minnow uh but it was like a jointed minnow style swim bait uh that had like a metal bill on it Okay. Um, I mean, it was it was super old school. It was really really cool. I actually lost it yeah. about forecast after that fish, Dang. but uh, yeah. So I, I I caught this fish. I caught this fish, and it was so big that I couldn't even you know, like reach down and get it. I was one of those you know where you see the kid like back all the way up the shoreline and like drag holding onto the there. rod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I had to, I got it up, <laughs> grabbed the fish, and ran up to the campsite like a like a crazy kid and. Uh, yeah. I think like a, I waited, yeah, I waited on like one of those like Snoopy tackle box type scales with the spring. Yeah. And yeah. Like yeah. It was, yeah. it was like right between seven and eight pounds. I, I distinctly remember this and 
you know, we're just sitting here and it's bouncing and, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was it. That's, that's still today that's so my, cool. my biggest, yeah. my biggest bass. So I love that. I'd call it 13, Nate. I just call it 13. Right? Yeah. It. <laughs> Somebody yeah, else has done that before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Uh, mine is really quick. Mine's a 10 one that I caught, uh, in Georgia. Yeah. The double digit, my only double digit fish on a, on a, uh, Cinco straight, straight rig, Cinco weightless, uh, on a three odd, I think three out four out hook uh and i was working it on a um on a spinning rod i didn't know what the heck i was doing just kind of popping it down like a jerk and it came up and waked behind it um not like a wake bait but you know like a like an alligator like snout <laughs> came up and uh, it took everything in me to to just keep on moving it and he came up and turned on it brought him into shore and as i i did the same thing i was a grown man so i had no excuse but i i i didn't want to go down and reach for it i thought there's gonna be slack in the line so i kind of dragged him up on shore and it snapped my uh my 12 pound mono that i was using at the time and then i waited on an old like uh those little like rectangular scales with the spring on the inside but the spring was oh, rusty yeah. and so i have a i have a feeling it was bigger than 10 one that's where it stopped at um but yeah that, that's that's my big that's my big bass that's fantastic the wake behind the bait that's, yeah. that's the coolest thing in fishing isn't it yeah oh my gosh yeah i'll, I'll never Absolutely. forget it for sure yeah it way, was like terrifying and you, awesome the way you were fishing the senko is the way that bait was designed to be fish yeah yeah it, it was designed to be a a competitor with the sluggo mm. Sluggos are awesome. Yeah, I remember the yeah. sluggo. i remember the yeah. first time i saw a sluggo um my friend dan had one and I made fun of him like incessantly. I'm like, that thing looks so stupid. You're not going to catch anything on a weird like tongue slash like broken finger looking flat top. Like that's not going to catch anything. Then we went to the pond and he just hammered him. It's the same. This is the same dude though, who when he pulled out a bomber uh, fat A, I was like, nothing's going to bite that. And we went down to the pond and he just went to work on him. It was, it was an <laughs> ugly, like a really ugly fire tiger pattern. And I'd never seen like a legit crankbait before. And he's just catching one after the other. And I was like, you're never going to catch it can i have one you know like just switch gears <laughs> real quick yeah. but yeah that's why i had like this is like an old school evan root hacks so i run an evan root on the back of my boat but then i also have like a super super old school uh bomber crankbait hat that's like just all mesh and like it's just no you know i, I love all that old school stuff i think it's uh i think it's really fun so last thing then fellers um in case somebody doesn't know where can where can people find you um social media uh Terry, your specific stuff, Ken, your specific stuff, Big Bass Podcast specific stuff. How can people follow along? Because you guys have some really cool stuff going on. Thank you. Doctor? I thought he was asking you first. Uh, I, I think he, I think it was a wide open Whoever, question. Whoever. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I got uh, the Bass Fishing Archives website. It's bass-archives.com. Awesome. Uh, new, new post five days a week, six days a week sometimes. Um, and uh, dedicated to the history of bass fishing. Love it. And then, of course, you know, doing the Big Bass Podcast with Ken. Uh, people wanted to, to contact me via email. It would be terry at thebigbasspodcast.com. Sweet. And I've got the Big Bass Podcast with Terry and Nathan, and my email address for that is ken at thebigbasspodcast.com. Uh uh, also, Fish Insider. Anybody wants to to see what we got going on over there? Check out fishinsider.com. And I've got uh, a new podcast that we've, we're only three episodes in called Bass After Dark. Yeah. And um, hopefully, folks will check that out too. Um, 
it's a, a live show every Thursday night, and uh, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, and your 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 last one had uh, Ben Milliken yeah. and Randy Blockett on the same episode. How did you swing that, by the way? Uh, weird story, Jordan. We actually had that show booked before those ah. guys started going after each other. Aha, okay. And and one of the premises of the big of, of Bass After Dark is we have three people come on to address one question. And okay. our question was, That's should cool. Ford facing sonar be banned? Yeah. And, right. and the other the, the premise of the show is that the guests don't know who the other guests are. Oh, um, that's Terry yeah. was on our debut show. And, and the question was who should be on bass fishing's Mount Rushmore. But yeah, we, we don't tell the guests who the other guests are. We like the excitement, the dynamic that brings, um, it does limit us in terms of, of marketing and, and getting the exposure out there, but we think we gain a lot just by a surprise element. Yeah, that is okay. So yeah, I, like I didn't that. see that. I did see the, after you told me about it. Um, and I had seen that thumbnail already, the, the boxing thumbnail, the, the Bailey one. Yeah. It, yeah. That Bailey made. Yeah. Thank you, Bailey. I agree. Um, yeah. Thanks Bailey. You're a good dude. Shout out. Point, point, point. Uh, yeah. Terry. So who, who does make your Mount Rushmore? Tell me Al Lenders on there. No. Unbelievable. <laughs> James Who A. is Hanshaw. it? James okay. A. Hanshaw. That makes sense, yeah. Jason Lucas, Buck Perry, and Ray Scott. Okay. That, those are hard to argue with. He's pretty solid. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, they're the, the pillars of, you know, bass fishing as far yeah, as Yeah, without them, where would bass fishing even be? Especially yeah. as far as where we're at competitively and whatever Ray Scott, who knows what would even be a, a thing. Right. Yeah. Yep. You know, I like it for sure. I only said Al Linder because I think he's such a stud and he's so well, underrated. So when it comes he's... to Linder, and, and, and Ken and I feel the same way about this, if you're talking about an overall angler, there's nobody better than Al Linder. Yeah. Nobody. But Al Al's the, only the great American multi-species freshwater guy. He's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, he isn't concentrating on bass. Right. You know, and that's that's where I had to draw the line. Yeah. You know. Right on. Yeah. Gussie told us that he would go up to Canada, Al would, and fish those giant um derbies on Lake of the Woods uh and win, even though he was like a multi-species guy. He could he could just kind of like kick it into gear and put the hammer down basically at will. So he's, he's definitely a, he's definitely a stick. There's no denying that. He, he won yeah, he, two Bassmaster events. He won and qualified, I think for three classics. So yeah, yeah. he's, he's legit. This was all back in the seventies, yeah. but that's when he also gave up most of his tournament fishing. Yeah. Al Lindner is, is everything he is cracked up to be and more. He's, he's awesome. And he has yeah. the coolest accent in the game. Is a Chicago accent, you know? Yeah, Chicago sort of amalgamated your, with Minnesota and yeah, yeah, exactly. Maximize your potential to put fish in the boat. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't, I can't do Al. <laughs> and the, the cadence, like he has like, that kind of specific cadence. Da, 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 but da, 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 da. like it's very like deliberate and like even yeah. at the end of like Angling Edge when he starts reading in the Bible, he's like, so now we know that Jesus on the cross. It's like the same way that he talks about like a jerk bait. He talks about like his Lord or whatever. Like it's, yeah, he's such a cool dude. But he is, anyway. and he's so smart. Just a, such yeah, a really he's, he's smart, sharp. savvy guy. Yeah, Great he's guy, a cool dude. Yeah. So, Huge uh, fan. um. 
Terry, Ken, thank you. Times a million. Yeah. Thanks for putting up with me going off camera 15 times, feeling like junk. Thanks for uh, Nate's tech issues. We appreciate you guys so, so heck, much. Heck, Everybody, yeah. well, anybody who's us. watching, listening to this, please go check out the Big Bass podcast. It is it's just engaging. It's, it's like an amalgam of awesome storytelling with bass. So I don't know how you could go wrong. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on our show. Guys, thank you so much. We really appreciate the opportunity. You had a lot of fun tonight. Thanks. Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we no, we greatly it. appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, boys. Yeah, we'll talk you. to you later. Thank you. Yep. Later. All right. Bye-bye. All right. There we go, Nate. We made it through even with uh, no Lola, even with me like sounding like I feel like if you played the beginning of this podcast to now, you'd hear my voice getting weaker and weaker as it went. And it's just like right. I can just, feel I can feel my throat. Going. Away. Yeah, just like just like less and less oxygen getting through yeah. by the minute. But uh, what a couple of awesome dudes, man. Knowledgeable. Yeah super intelligent super articulate super sincere like I, I feel like in um life in general when people get really smart on any specific topic it doesn't matter what it is it could be cheese curds it could be fishing yes. it could be race cars but you get to this level of knowledge where it's like you know you have this level of knowledge and there you start acting like a butthole and yeah. uh these dudes don't have that you know like they're intelligent and articulate and know their stuff forwards and backwards but they're not like condescending or you know they're not pricks like they're just good dudes yeah yeah it's amazing the way the way they want to teach everybody the history on bass fishing and well you know whether it's how how things came about or you know bass records or you know uh it's great like like you said it's it's so engaging there's there's so many uh dynamics to their show that like a you know a lot of people can can kind of find exactly what uh you know what they're interested in and and they talk about it so they they do an awesome job and yeah we're privileged to have them on for sure glad we could get it uh finally work out yeah and i think it was ken who said something to the effect of one way that you'll get lost or you know you would walk away from somebody else's podcast as if like the material kind of gets stale and if i'm being honest i remember when i first started listening to the big bass podcast i'm like dude there's only so many big bass stories you can really tell you know what i'm saying like i like i'm thinking to myself they're gonna run out of stuff at some point but they're not because it's not just a large mouth record it's not just the spot record it's not just the small mouth record it's each state record it's lures that catch big fish it's tactics to catch big fish and like i said 15 times and i'll keep talking about it it was really that good uh i didn't even watch the video i just listened because i drive a lot um but i listened to it the small mouth episode i'm not kidding it's like I don't know if there's awards for podcasts, but there should be for this one. It's engaging. It tells the story objectively. Um, it makes um, the characters in it feel almost like movie-ish. Like there's just so much dynamic and twist and plot. And yeah, they're just doing a great job telling great stories. I mean, what else could you want out of a podcast, honestly? No, that's exactly it. And and like you said, they, they do an awesome job. I'm yeah. flat, flat out. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's well put together and yeah. yeah. Yeah, Nate, hit him with the hook, and we will uh, we will bounce. Thank you guys so much for listening. Positivity is worth the effort. Thanks for listening. Peace. Catch you on the next one. Appreciate you guys. Bye.
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that, Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 